Hello and welcome everybody uh, to Six Pixels Under. This is episode 20 of the podcast. I'm happy to be uh, joining you guys this week. On this week's podcast, we will be talking about uh, Anthem. Last week we didn't talk about or we didn't talk about it at all. So we need to get to that today. We'll probably watch Skillup's video on the game if you haven't seen that already. Capcom is uh, the best reviewed publisher. We'll talk a little bit about that. Metro Exodus has had tons of different drama uh, from Koch Media, publisher duties, the whole Epic Games Store. Now they're becoming an exclusive, a year exclusive. Then Steam will get access, but Steam already had pre-orders. This, there's a whole lot of drama concerning that. Uh, Outward, an open world RPG uh, from developer Nine Dots. I also wanted to mention that a little bit. I've seen that kind of uh, circulating around. Looks kind of fun. Looks like some kind of co-op game similar to maybe like Fable in some ways. Um, so that would be interesting to see unfold since I love those sorts of games. And then as well as uh, CDPR has over 400 people working on Cyberpunk 2077. I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, Respawn just... Is it Respawn or um, what's the company that did uh, Titanfall? I think it's Respawn. But they just uh, released a, a trailer or a teaser for some battle royale that they've been working on. So we've got to look into that as well. And then, of course, the MMOs on the Go segment. We'll talk about a bunch about um, uh, Final Fantasy. We'll talk about uh, Legends of Aria having some recent drama, more Activision Blizzard drama as well as uh, a fun little thread that I saw on the MMORPG subreddit titled How to Make an MMORPG Kickstarter. And it's actually, it's a pretty good one. So we're going to meme about that a little bit. I will also talk about my previous Death of a Game. I, I'm trying to make it a habit after my Death of a Games are launched to talk about it after on the podcast. That way I can kind of address things that maybe I didn't get to address in the video or some things that I'd like to kind of amend or whatever else. Um, soapbox time, that's probably when I'll do that. I also wanted to talk about the Epic, uh, Epic Game Store thing a bunch, but I'll probably do that in the current gaming news segment. At the end, I might talk, uh, or I might actually bring on um, Card earlier on, uh, the moderator, or our moderator uh, and friend, uh, Card, to talk a little bit about Anthem since he's been playing it right now, um, to get some of his thoughts on it. But uh, yeah, thank you everybody for uh, being here. Um, I'm glad all of you are joining me. I'm just opening up my Twitch page now. Sorry, I missed everyone's chat. Made it on time today. Morning, everybody. Thank you, Ion. I appreciate that. Ten months in a row, man. Dang. You're, uh, you're dedicated. Respawn. Okay, I was right. Thanks for that, MGPT. Somebody needs to gift MGPT a sub. He's been here for way too long. First, okay. Yeah, the Epic Game Store drama. This is, this is gonna, that's going to be really interesting. I've been wanting to talk about that all week i would probably say all right so let's jump into our first topic of the day um that's going to be the whole you know yeah it's probably going to be the whole anthem stuff so uh anthem uh for those who haven't been following let's go ahead and watch trailer um just so we can treat it like not everybody was uh okay so here's a first the manifold all right so anthem i guess i would best describe anthem as it 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 sort of looks like i know there's going to be lots of comparisons to warframe there's going to be lots of comparisons to um uh it's it's warframe and um 
Destiny, and there's one other game off the top of my head that I can't remember that are sort of similar to Anthem in certain looks. Here's the uh, Game Awards trailer that we saw. Uh, the big thing we're noticing in Anthem, of course, from the trailers, but also the gameplay, is uh, flight is a big part of the game. Um, this is just a cinematic. Let's see if we can get some gameplay on screen. Uh, I don't really want to see, like, a spoiler. This is the older demo, though. This is like a year old, so this is not going to look the same. Damn it, I'll just watch this, but I'm going to mute it. So anyway, the, the gameplay is obviously a focus for, for Anthem. Um... I'd have to say I can see why people make comparisons to Warframe in certain ways. It's sort of uh, similar. Um, the Division. Yes, uh, Kalantis. Thank you. Because I, I was trying to remember. It's like it reminds me of one other game because of the bullet sponge stuff. Um, obviously, the game in some way, shape, or form looks or plays like a looter shooter. Uh, sort of like Borderlands where, I mean, you, you go from place to place. I'd probably say... Borderlands or Division? It's probably closer to Division. Um, to the Division. Anyway, so this is a game that's created by the company uh, Bioware, uh, or as it's now uh, dubbed, uh, essentially EA Bioware. EA obviously owns Bioware, and Bioware operates underneath them. So this is the first time we've seen in some time now that Bioware has essentially made something that wasn't or doesn't seem to be so narrative-driven or narrative-focused. Um, this is not unheard of. We've seen other uh, RPG companies do action games at some uh, point. But that's sort of where Anthem kind of caught me off guard. I didn't really expect them to end up doing such a game um, that would end up being uh, in the sort of vein uh, that it is. I, I thought, frankly speaking, it would be less open-worldy or they would try and make it less open-world and have it to be more sort of... Um, closer to some type of social hub of sorts but it looks like it's closer to uh basically what you what you experience when you play destiny which is sort of like you can co-op play with other people but as far as i know uh besides free roam and and the missions the legendary contracts as well as um what is it they also have for end game strongholds there's not a whole lot of end game, so that that's been one of the big complaints about Anthem surrounding the story. But there's also been a whole lot of other drama that we haven't even really stepped into. I was just trying to kind of set the scene, I guess, in a way. So the 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 main drama concerning Anthem has been probably primarily the um, launch date slash uh, trailer slash demo, you know, access kind of drama. It's been pretty strange. Um, there's a couple memes I've been sent. But Jim Sterling talks about this, so I figure, why don't we just let Jim Sterling uh, tell it to us? I'm Jim Sterling, pro wrestling ego tag team champion. All right, let's wait for him to get ahead. I know what you're thinking. Why? Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about something that isn't a first, Electronic Arts being shit. Electronic Arts <laughs> has had to put out a graphic in order to let us know when we can play its upcoming generic Destiny wannabe anthem. I know what you're thinking. Why do we need graphics to let us know a video game's release date? It's just a release date, right? You say the day the game's coming out, and then we just know when the game's I coming out. I love the music that Jim has played. The, the game was coming <laughs> out, right? Nope. 
not in the world of triple i video games that was like one of the best so songs he could have chosen over complicated rube goldberg would look at it and say straighten it out mate look, is electronic arts is ways okay so let's let's break into it here um th this is quite possibly it is very very strange it's been circulating around there's a couple memes i've got to get credit to uh ludens he put this meme out there that puts the go to jail uh <laughs> <laughs> the money symbol uh there's a dog for some reason <laughs> there's a question mark <laughs> uh, sorry memes on this stuff end up being pretty good as you see the the drama is here that there are way too many ways to play this game in specific ways where you can only play portions of the game so for example, this first category, we have demo access. Second, we have early access, which means it's the full game. Then we have the first trial, which is only the first 10 hours, followed by the full game launching on February 22nd. Now, this isn't really bad. Th those categories aren't the confusing ones. The confusing categories are probably where it says standard pre-order uh, gives you access to the demo and the full game. The Legion of Dawn pre-order gives you access to the demo and the full game. But the but having EA access also gives you the access to the to the ten hour trial, while having Origin access gives you access to the trial, but doesn't obviously give you access to the game. Neither does EA access. <sighs> okay, sorry. Origin access gives you access to the demo, but it's the only one. Origin access premiere is the only one that gives you access to the full game on February fifteenth. So this is sort of where the drama obviously comes in because we look at what origin premiere access is worth uh how much does this cost right and this is kind of where the, the the majority in my opinion of the drama comes from people are thinking to themselves okay so the basic one is five dollars a month or it's fifteen dollars a month so essentially uh ea is saying you can play this game seven days before anybody else can play it in its entirety, not just the trailer, sorry, not just the trial, not just the demo, in its entirety, but you have to pay $15 that month. It's So basically what they're saying is they not only want you to play the game, buy the game, but they also want you to potentially, they want to entice you to potentially also want to get earlier access to the game. This isn't the biggest deal in the world. Other companies have done this before. I think it's the fact that it's set up in this like neat little graphic with these X's and checks that has people kind of confused. People don't like charts in general. I, I, I put charts up in my videos and it's usually like it, it, it equals at least a couple of downvotes as soon as you put a single chart in there. That being said, I, I think it's, it's, it's a combination of obviously the medium, the, the person itself or the company itself, sorry, that's involved, EA, obviously. But it's also that people are pissed that companies now, especially a company in EA who's very well versed in how to run microtransactions, but companies now are realizing that you can monetize not just the game with pre-orders before you can actually uh, have your customer play the game, right? So people can pre-order a game, they get bonuses, right? But now they'll pre-order the game, but also get an extra pre-order essentially for the ability to play the game even earlier. So it's like instead of having launch dates on the the normal days, it <laughs> it looks like a satellite cable TV package, and I've done call center work for such companies. 
people really don't like these kind of charts too. They did the early access thing for MGP too. So I should also say, wait, why does it show you that, or why does it say that MGPT is also, uh, oh, thank you card. Thank you for uh, gifting MGPT a sub, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I, I sorry, I was gonna say that it, it seems to be more, um, it's, it's something in the water at EA. Like they're gonna do this in the future. They've already done it with um, Battlefield Five, and now they're doing it with Anthem. They're gonna keep doing this. So this means that this idea of getting earlier access to your game, everybody's going to start paying for earlier access to the game as soon as they start doing this with competitive games. What I mean is, if Anthem had PvP, which by the way is probably one of the biggest reasons that you won't find me playing it, um, as well as some other people are kind of confused, is uh, Anthem so far. Here, let me let me get over this whole uh, publisher drama shit first before I get into Anthem a little bit more. Um, what else does Jim have in here? Oh, he so what what Jim starts to do basically uh, for those who haven't seen this video, uh, link it in chat for those who haven't. Um, he goes through and he makes comparisons to when other companies have done similar things, and basically just starts to talk about how the process itself is. It's not good. We're we're essentially we're paying companies more money for their video games without getting more from it except the ability to play the game earlier, which essentially means if we could play the game earlier and there's no downsides uh to it, then why not just release the game earlier? Right? Would be most people's kind of criticism. Why not just release the game earlier then by that by that uh uh logic? Anyway, so now that we've talked a little bit about the drama surrounding Anthem, let's actually dive into like some of the actual criticism and, and discussion surrounding the game. There's one particular video that I wanted to watch for this, and it's a skill up video. If you haven't seen any of his content, he makes good videos. People often say that they like to watch his videos as well as mine. There that I dislike Anthem. All right, this is going to be put on fast, so... This really couldn't be further from the truth. I don't be EA jolted here, boys, so we don't have to sit through 18 minutes. EA, so for that reason, I've been cheering for Anthem since the moment it was announced. Bioware is a very special studio that has produced some of the yeah, he's, he's providing the background here. You know, who Bioware is, why he likes Bioware, essentially. Um, opinion of things, which is obviously very difficult to do because we all have our own subjective biases. What I'm trying to say is, 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 is strip away EA, strip away Bioware, strip away the drama, strip away all the pre-order stuff. Now let's just look at the game itself on its own merits. It does obviously look very similar to Destiny, but it's faster in some ways. It doesn't look nearly as clean, uh, clunky, sorry. So I don't think blanket Destiny comparisons are necessarily fair. That's kind of where I think Warframe has a little bit more of an advantage in the sense that Warframe has a little bit more freeform movement systems. So this makes me look like, sorry, I'll see the comparisons in terms of the way the weapon models look and, and the way that uh, they look whenever they're zoomed in over the shoulder. It does look pretty Destiny-like. Um, wait, where was the Destiny gameplay? He just popped up the Destiny gameplay. It looks similar for a second. I'll be honest, he caught me off guard. So I can certainly see the similarities in certain ways, but it's not nearly as bad, obviously. Destiny also was a um a first-person game. I don't believe you could play third-person in that game. 
So they've ha- they have that unique thing going for them. Probably a good reason why they made it third person, right? It, it, I th- I feel like third person in this specific scenario is a little bit more unique in that case. Uh, that being said, Warframe obviously has a third person. So does uh, Division. Someone said they prefer skill up. Sorry, let's hear some more of what he's saying here. And Warframe and the Division, but Anthem doesn't feel like any of those because it's sort of all of them, and yet because of that, it's none of them. Hmm. I'll explain. Firstly, the flying is everything I would have hoped it would be. Traversal is such an important part of most games. Flying and looks awesome. some truly horrendous PC controls, which will hopefully get fixed, it just feels amazing to fly through the missions, through strongholds, through the open worlds. I've not yet gotten tired of the sense of looking up and thinking, yeah, I want to go there, and with a press of a button, I'm off. One of the biggest reasons I love Destiny is because it just feels good to pull the trigger in Destiny. The moment when you load up the game and fire that first shot, you immediately feel like, yeah, that's the stuff. Anthem doesn't have that feeling with its shooting, but I think it could achieve that with its flying eventually. Yeah, sorry Anthem, for people. Yeah, it, it when I watch videos on stream, I'm never going to watch them normal speed just because it's like, just isn't there. The it's too slow just so and I have to constantly really pause it. Apart. But mainly it's because of what a lot of people would call bullet sponge enemies. Now this term gets thrown around a lot by people who don't really understand how looter games work. But for a looter to exist, there has to be loot that makes you more powerful as you collect it. That therefore necessitates the existence of enemies who are too strong for you to comfortably kill until you collect that loot. Hence, they'll yeah. feel like bullet sponges. When right. you get the required loot, makes you can sense. kill them faster and things start to feel good again. I will say though that Anthem's enemies feel even more bullet spongy than usual and shooting them feels particularly unsatisfying because Anthem's damage model is based around abilities, not shooting. Your abilities are very powerful and on very short cooldowns. This is how you're meant to be dealing with damage and this is why shooting things in Anthem feels kind of shitty and unrewarding. I'm fine with it because I'm interested to see how a damage model like that could work but I really understand how a lot of people could really hate the shooting in this game and it would be enough to turn them off. When it comes to things like abilities, class- See, I have to say like from a design perspective, I'm a little bit confused about that. I'm confused why they'd make flight in 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 sort of the way like anthem looks such a focus but then guns aren't really necessarily a big focus i guess i'm I'm kind of cut off guard by that because even though there's abilities in destiny your gun's still plenty effective at killing people that's for sure Last design and itemization i really can't offer any judgment on this except to say that i'm very intrigued by what i've seen and i'm really interested to- and this certainly looks more in depth than some some systems we've seen before customization systems here. To really pass any meaningful judgment, you need to spend a few weeks with a system like this. I'll be doing that when I review the game. As much as I enjoy the gameplay, I really, really worry about Anthem's story. So I would look forward to his review, by the way, everybody. Skill Up does good videos, and I think this is a good video so far. He's been fair. He's not cashing in on all the outrage. He's not cashing in on all the drama surrounding it, and he's not just picking on the very easy issues to pick on. For example, there are low-hanging fruit when we can criticize Anthem. We can say it has no uh, identity. It's very generic, right? Even though it looks great. It looks great in that kind of like, ooh, shiny thing, but has no personality. Um, We can criticize the lack of narrative. We haven't seen any narrative like push. We haven't seen any Bioware narrative like mentioned. We're not really seeing what we would expect from a Bioware company, right? Not saying they're the same company anymore. We've already gone over that. They're not. But... um. There, there is criticism to be levied at Anthem. Uh, the game's not going to have a whole lot of in-game whenever it launches. It's only going to have three strongholds. Um, it's going to have a free roam as well as the... Um, what's it called? Uh, oh, the contracts. The contracts. So there's not going to be a whole lot of game there. Again, more criticism that you can levy against the game. But I I do think, as I always say, we have to be careful about just blanket saying things are bad. We we need to be willing to explain why. 
and and I appreciate Skillup taking the time to do that. So I didn't have to do that. Just kidding, but basically. <clears throat> I think it feels generic due to Warframe and Destiny being around so long that this game doesn't bring a whole lot of new things, just good ideas from other games meshed together. Although I personally am not a fan of reusing enemy character models and just making them bigger in size to seem different. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. They're probably going to have abilities that are gun-centric to compensate. Different playstyles like Borderlands, Schmoop says. Makes sense. Uh, please don't call them it. They are fully-fledged people with their own personalities. <laughs> the guns are meh, uh, Card says. I barely use them unless I need someone to drop down. So use the gun to drop them. Keeping a powerful sniper around can really help take out the big ones or take some healthy chunks of, out of them. All right, so like we've talked about the drama. We've talked about some of the issues with the game. Um, I can find the answers. When he talks about uh, unknowns here, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum it up so we don't have to watch this entire video because I've already seen it. But he actually makes a really, really good point, really simple point. I'm going to skip ahead here to where he makes the point. Um, so the point here is that he says that there's a lot of um, smoke and mirrors behind how pricing systems and microtransactions are going to work in the game. He's absolutely right about that. They're not being very transparent, but they keep telling us that they're going to be fair. The prices are going to be fair, everybody. So, so right here, this screenshot shows Scale-Up essentially joking that, come on, guys, how hard is it for EA to just release this kind of statement? Guys, $20 for a skin? That's crazy. No way would we do that. We'll announce pricing soon, but it's not going to be that high. Relax. Obviously, he, they don't say this. And so Skill-Up makes this uh, particular tweet saying, Really simple solution to the Anthem macro transactions debate is that is that is or sorry that is raging EA Bioware can just release a statement saying here are the prices just be completely transparent say here are our prices and then if it's like a win for for you know consumers we will all celebrate it it'll be good advertisement that's essentially the argument Skillup makes which I totally agree with. I tweeted EA out. has of course their game changers which is essentially their critics in their pocket. Um, <laughs> if you're part of EA Game Changers, I'm sorry, I'm willing to hear you out, but I am going to question you very, very much, especially your integrity, especially your ability to be critical. Uh, anyway, he actually speaks to somebody from uh, EA, and he says, we let our Game Changers play the in-game content at premier events, we'll have more official uh, news and details, and so Skillup asks them point blank, so how much will the skins be? He never gets a response. Um, they, there is a response that's found on the forum, this is about the only response we've seen so far regarding this. Hey there, one thing to keep in mind is this doesn't represent final stamped for all eternity pricing. That's always great to hear, don't you guys love when you can hear that they can actually lower, right, or increase prices? After the fact, that's always great to hear. We are iterating on our economy design and balance almost daily, so you're seeing a snapshot of one iteration. This is why we tend to not discuss things like pricing. Oh! Uh <laughs> oh, man. All right. Can we go full screen? Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, to explain why I'm laughing here, so anyone who's ever worked for a company, ever worked, period, there's been a point in your life where you kind of had to say some things you maybe didn't necessarily agree with, right? Just so you can kind of like get on with your job, 
Now, how many times have you guys had someone come into your job and tell you how amazing and great and smart they are? And you just have to keep saying, mm-hmm, yep. And then they walk out the door and you're like, thank God, right? You're happy that they left. Point is, is that sometimes people in their jobs have to say certain things um, because they have to maintain that the status quo is being maintained, essentially. Um, somebody that works for a company like BioWare, which is owned by EA, is very much under that guise, where they, they have to be very careful about what they say because if they say something that could be interpreted some kind of way and they release some kind of information they're not supposed to release, they could uh, potentially be fired, be reprimanded. It's it's very... They have to be careful. And as Kinderis says, just so people knows, uh, no, this is common. Like this kind of practice, I'm not saying it's right, but it is very common in business. Um, people often call it corporate speak, right? Where, where corporations, hey, uh, thanks for gifting uh, Ludens a sub, Ion. I appreciate that. Um, but so it does happen in other games. <clears throat> and it does happen in other, sorry, it does happen in other companies. But of course, when we, when we see this and we're wondering about the questions about how, how much skins are going to cost an Anthem, how much, um, how much are we going to end up spending after all of this? If I get the early, early access followed by the pre-order with the extra goodies, you know, super duper edition, followed by if I want a couple of skins and maybe the right kind of javelin, I mean, how much, like, theoretically speaking, how much money am I going to end up spending here? Like, as a consumer... It, it's it these are questions that we have right before we go into a game and these are questions that anthem unfortunately hasn't really answered and isn't answering yet so it's one of those games that really i'm kind of adopting this wait and see uh attitude about uh which i normally have anyway but in this particular case there's not a whole lot of clues we can see before the game launches besides other issues that we've already mentioned before so i think um Ion should be banned from working on MMOs besides Raid Bits. That's it. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, do not... Yes. Okay. So in this particular case, guys, with Anthem, if I can leave you guys with anything, unless you have money to blow, unless you want to keep supporting these bad ideas, these bad practices, don't just buy the game yet. Okay? Just wait a little bit. I'm not saying I can control whether or not you buy things or don't buy things. I'm just saying, in this particular case, just ask for you guys, just a little patient. Wait for the reviews to come out concerning Anthem. Wait for Skillup's review. He seems very fair. He seems like he likes Bioware. He likes their games. He seems like he's willing to be a little bit objective. So why not wait until he puts a video out there, see what he has to say, then watch a couple other critics to get different perspectives, and then make an informed decision, right? This is, this is essentially the best way we have moving forward for not supporting more bad business practices and not putting ourselves into situations where we're essentially supporting bad games as well. <clears throat> what do you know about this mech BR? Um, is that the one Respawn's working on? Let's go ahead and jump into that one now because I, I wanted to talk about that one a little bit. It'll give us something to watch as well. Oh, wait. Uh... Okay, so this game is called Apex Legends. There's some game being teased by Titanfall devs, uh, Respawn Entertainment, uh, 
apparently it's a battle royale game so i know everyone like a fart went off in the room and everybody already left but hear me out Let, let's let's actually look at it so this is a teaser environment and eh, this doesn't really these don't really show us anything they're just like stills basically do we have anything i can actually show you guys in terms of like tangible gameplay oh there's a reveal stream happening today apparently in a couple of hours so there you go if you if you want to hear more about this apparently there's, there's going to be a reveal trailer um so you guys can go figure that out later they haven't really released any other information other than it's a battle royale so look respawn i feel bad for respawn i'll be honest guys i feel bad for respawn entertainment because they're stuck um they're essentially stuck with their publisher and there's no way that they're they're going to get out of that um it if you look at like the the previous Titanfall games, it sucks because it's like they've been successful games and yet they haven't done particularly well online or kind of over time with their, their player base. And it's nearly always been because of either a mistake that the Titanfall devs made, um, not necessarily them themselves making, but they were essentially kind of a part of a, a mistake. Oh, sorry, what I mean is that with Titanfall in particular, with Titanfall 2, they released like, um, well, actually, they, I think they did this in both games. They released like an expansion, which actually basically split the player base. And then uh, after splitting the player base, they couldn't make up their mind for which game modes they wanted to focus on. They created a lot of these mercenary modes where you play Titanfall without your mech, which people were kind of like, what's the point? Why not just go play COD? Um, other people kind of enjoyed it. Some people thought that it would be cool for bigger maps, right, to mess around with in Titanfall so you can have more mech battles, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing else really to say about this, though, because it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of information. We'll have to watch the stream later. Everyone riot until we get an actual sub badge. We're working on it. Soon, TM. Okay, so we need to talk about Actually, let's meme a little bit first. So Capcom just won uh, Best Reviewed Publisher of 2018. So everybody let out your hoops and hollerings and clapping and bows and all that other sort of stuff. I'm, I'm honestly, this is just hilarious. This is why I wanted to mention this. Capcom really is such an inconsistent company. I feel like at this point, we should be we should believe consistently that Capcom is going to be inconsistent. So the publisher average meta scores, check this out. You've got Capcom at 79.3, Sega at 78.5, Electronic Arts at 77.5, Nintendo at 76.4, Ubisoft at 73.7. Um, Capcom somehow has, has sneaked into the lead. Obviously, some of that is because of Street Fighter. Some of that is because of their uh, Fighter Z. That is because of... Uh, that other game that just came out oh yeah resident evil 2 if you guys have heard of that one so they've been doing particularly well right now obviously they have a strong staple of uh, established ips um but capcom has always been sort of one of those companies one vein one game they can seem like they're horrible have no idea what they're doing they're doing day one dlcs on the disc already dlcs like they've done horrible things like that before but then in other veins, they're releasing free DLCs after the launch of a game. And it's just like, you never know what you're going to get with Capcom, but at least it seems like they're willing to learn or at least are, are, are very aware that they can make mistakes sometimes. Oh, uh, that's Namco Bandai. My bad. <laughs> I get these companies confused. 
Street Fighter is Capcom, though, right? And DBZ is Bandai, Bandai Namco. Smash Bros. is Nintendo. Marvel vs. Capcom is Capcom, obviously. Sorry, I'm trying to remember some of the other fighter, fighting games that I don't necessarily play a whole lot of. Um, what, is, what are one of those other uh, fighting games? Um, what, other, what other fighting game does Capcom have? Don't they have another one? I thought Capcom had another fighting game. Oh, t is Tekken Capcom? Maybe Tekken's the one I'm thinking of. Okay, some, some, uh, MGPT said that they also had big profits from Monster Hunter and probably RE2. Yeah, definitely, for sure. <clears throat> oh, no, Tekken is also Namco. Monster Hunter is Capcom. <laughs> Tekken is Namco. Dragon uh, Ball Fighter Z is Namco. Street Fighter is uh, Capcom. Gotcha. Thanks. So Namco is the one that has the majority of the, the titles, uh, like a uh, variety in titles, because I have Soul Calibur as well. Interesting. Anyway, there's been a whole lot of drama concerning the whole Metro Exodus launch, uh, or not launch, because it hasn't even launched yet, technically. Um, there's been tons of drama concerning the Epic Games Store, the whole uh, THQ Nordic is involved into this, their parent company, or actually I think subsidiary company, Koch Media is involved in this. Basically, let's set the stage. Um, let me find the best article to display during this discussion. So, epic. Um, okay, so for those who haven't been following this story, there has been a whole lot of drama concerning... Metro Exodus, which was, you know, the new Metro uh, title, the third in the series, I believe, to launch based on the books, of course. Um, we've played them on stream before. I'm a fan of the Metro uh, franchise. I'm trying to go f f uh, further back here. Sorry, I didn't do this before. Um, okay, here we go. On screen... So Epic recently acquired exclusive rights to do um, a deal with Metro Exodus. This would mean that they would essentially be the only platform that would be allowed to uh, um, show the game. Except the confusing thing is, is Metro, of course, has originally come out on Steam before and come out on a couple other platforms. The game was actually already on pre-order on Steam store, so it was already able to be purchased on Steam, meaning many users already had pre-ordered the game. Essentially, what you would describe as last minute, um, weeks or, or even just a month before the game came out, <clears throat> they decided that they didn't want to work with uh, Steam on this project, and instead they wanted to work with uh, Epic uh, Games and their new Epic Games store or whatever else. So they ended up making it, so it went from being kind of like a cross-all-platform type of title, like everyone was expecting a Steam uh, game, blah, 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 to being a timed exclusive for the Epic Games Store. Timed exclusive in the sense of one-year exclusivity they have before they can play on Steam. So Epic Games has a one-year exclusivity deal with Metro Exodus. Obviously, 
there has been innumerable amounts of drama concerning this. Of course, the players who pre-order on Steam are annoyed that they have to switch platforms. Players don't like, especially when you consider Steam, what it offers. They don't like when competitors come into the field and try and say, actually, we're only going to let you play our game on our platform. Many many consumers don't like it because they see it as unnecessary. They see it as, um, basically, it's hard for them to see the utility at first glance. And what I mean by that is that for a company, it's easy to see the utility of other competitors in the marketplace, right? Other competitors other than Steam, because it means that they don't have to always accept the same rate, right? They can potentially be paid more money. That's what they went, uh, went and did, essentially. Epic Games slash uh, Deep Silver, which is the company that works on uh, Exodus itself, the game itself. Um, they are a... Is, wait, is Deep Silver a... Um, are they a subsidiary of uh, THQ or are they just published by THQ? Let's look that up really quickly. No, sorry. Their parent organization is Koch Media and Koch Media is owned by THQ. Okay, correct. I was right about that. I just wanted to double check. Um, so anyway, uh, Deep Silver is a developer. Uh, Koch Media is their parent company. The parent company of Koch Media is THQ Nordic. So players were very, very angry concerning this. And so essentially what they do, or what they did rather, following the launch of um, the game, is they started to review, review bomb the game. Um, this isn't... Here we go. This is the article I was looking for. Players protest Epic's Metro Exodus exclusive by review bombing the series on Steam. Um, wait, this was before launch, right? Or was this after? Anyway. Okay. The decision to make Metro Exodus on the Epic Games Store exclusive pissed off a bunch of people. Apparently, it, was, it only happened less than three weeks before its scheduled date. The game is actually $10 cheaper for U.S. customers, which is kind of like a, a sort of like um, a middle ground. Since they're getting paid more money, the developers were like, hey, we'll make it cheaper. That way we can make our customers less unhappy that we're switching to another platform. That's a good idea. That's what you should do when you're trying to let your audience know that you are trying to diversify the way that you... Um, I would say market or sell your product, right? Because platforms and gaming mean more than just like Xbox and PlayStation and PC, right? That's what platforms used to kind of mean. These days when we mean marketplaces or platforms or, or game services, we're talking about Steam, we're talking about um, Uplay, we're talking about Origin, we're talking about Epic Games, we're talking about, what else am I missing? GOG. Um... There's probably a few more that I'm missing. Uh, Discord has a games uh, marketplace now. Just about everything has a damn marketplace. And so we want competition for Steam because without competition for Steam, Steam will essentially be the only mega company that does what it does. This means that it can choose the prices that it sells to people. It can, it can choose how much it pays people. It can do the whole, you know, steam drama with the whole green lighting and, and we're getting essentially super low quality games, subpar games that are still being sold for monetary amounts. Steam doesn't seem to necessarily care, etc. So there, there's 
there's certainly reasons not to want to support Steam and to 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 be okay with the idea of competition. Competition for us as the consumer, although on the surface might not seem like it, it's always better for us because it means that ultimately when we're not getting our needs serviced, we can go to somebody else to get those needs serviced. The problem with competitors for Steam is that they have a big hill to climb. They're nowhere near ready uh, for, for being competitive with Steam. They don't offer the same features. They don't offer the same um, uh, types of games. They don't offer um, the same strength of um, library. They don't offer the same ability to communicate with people. There's, there's certainly some reasons why people are kind of hesitant to want to go to other marketplaces. Because they're like, you know what? Maybe Steam's not the best. But it's kind of where everything is. So they don't want to have to to load up six different marketplaces. They don't want to have to load up Uplay, Origin, Access, you know, whatever the hell else other, uh, GOG, Steam. Not everybody wants to run all these different uh, platforms or all these different applications just to save $10, right? I know that might sound strange because saving money is always great. But sometimes people are willing to spend just a little bit more in order to have that convenience. And the convenience on Steam is that you can have everything all together. So I'm providing, I'm trying to provide as good and, and, and charitable perspective to all sides as I possibly can. Um, because I do think everybody has a good point here. So... From that perspective, from the consumer perspective, early on when competitors are going to compete with Steam, it's not going to seem like a good thing. It's not going to seem like a good thing because it's going to be less convenient. It's potentially going to do things like this and, and upset your, um, your pre-orders potentially, have to make you go to and download a different kind of um, platform. It's going to require your customers be willing to jump to another platform. So there there is some some problems early on with having competition for steam but what if i told you in the future whenever everybody has had time to kind of like operate and they're more competitive amongst each other they have closer products right and now it's more competitive meaning when we get exclusives they are competing for our dollars that's what we want we want these game companies to compete for our dollars that's why we want these marketplaces and that's why we want competition we don't want Steam to be the only platform that exists, right? We don't want that for many different reasons. We don't want Gabe to be too powerful. Just kidding. But we, we just don't want one particular platform to have that much power. We've already seen the problems that it can cause. Steam can essentially make or break a game because of its, its level of power and its level of um, uh, visibility. So from that perspective, you have people don't want to transition. So they're angry that they would even have to transition, period. But then you had a bunch of players protest the game by review, sorry, review bombing the game on Steam. And this is partly in, <laughs> in reason because Epic Game Store doesn't have reviews unless the developer themselves enables them. So players are just like, all right, then we'll just review bomb you on Steam. That'll still affect your bottom line in some way. <clears throat> Except... Although I understand the the perspective here and what they're attempting to accomplish, I'm I'm going to make a very very strong distinction here between ethics and theory or design. You have ethics, right? The ethics of things, the morals of things, 
and you have the design. Although we often are ethical people and therefore make our decisions, our even rational decisions based off of our ethics as people, um, that's not always the case. You can separate those two different things. And what I mean is that a game review is a game review. It's not a company review. It doesn't review a company, right? Whenever you go to a website or you go to Steam or you go to whatever other place that has a game review, you are reviewing the game. I don't think you should really mention the company. I'm sorry. I've, I've kind of been one of those people that it's like, yes, you can mention the context. And yes, you can mention why things could be problematic and, and the historical uh, perspective of things. But, but just reviewing a game negatively just because you don't like what a publisher did in this particular case or because the general populace thinks that the developers did this. That's actually what ended up happening. Players think that Deep Silver was the one that said, you know what, we want to be exclusive on Epic. That's not what happened, as it says um, uh, right here on screen. According to Variety.com, THQ Nordic released a statement saying, Metro Exodus on Epic Store was all Koch Media, which is owned by THQ Nordic, by the way. So, so in this particular case, the developers had no choice concerning where their game was platformed. And so this is why I'm saying once you look at the context of things, it starts to not make sense to review bomb. Why are you review bombing a company who created the game based on merits that aren't the game, right? Sorry, um, <laughs> I saw you say you can't see. Right here. I was just showing you guys the article on screen. Metro Exodus on Epic Store was all Koch Media, according to THQ. They own Koch Media. So they're essentially saying, we made an executive decision to, to put them on Epic Games Store. Essentially, what that means is that the developers, as you would expect from a developer-publisher relationship, the developer has maybe some input, but they don't typically get to decide what platform they get to be on. Is it cock? Coke? Because, I mean, you can pronounce that word many different ways. I knew a guy named Coke who was spelled that way. I knew a guy named uh, Coach Koch. In fact, he was my uh, coach who was named uh, Coach Koch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, besides the usual boring as fuck uh, mispronouncing memes, uh, review bombing a game where the developers essentially have no choice where to put the platform or where to put the game and where to launch it on a, a certain platform. It just, there's no reason to do that. You're not like, you might do some damage, which is what the intention is by review bombing is to do damage. But you're essentially, in my opinion, doing damage for all the wrong reasons. You're doing damage for all the wrong reasons. There's no reason to say that a game is bad without actually saying why the game is bad. There, there really isn't a whole lot of reason to say that. That doesn't mean that if you don't support a company that you then just, like, let me put it this way. If you don't support this decision and you don't support uh, Koch Media, Coke Media, what, Coca-Cola Media, whatever you guys want to call them, um, if you don't support THQ Nordic, we should say, because that's really who's in charge, then don't purchase their games. Meaning, why review bomb if you disagree with the company? It doesn't make sense. Put it this way. If you don't like the game and you think it's a bad game, you review the game negatively. That's what you do. And you tell people, I don't like the game. Here's why. If you don't like the company, 
you just don't buy the game. It's it, it doesn't take any more like science than that, right? There's there's not some like some super deep thought here. If you don't support the company, period, don't buy the game. Don't buy it, then negatively review it. You're you're essentially helping them. Like I, it's so crazy that I see people so smug about review bombing, and you're buying the game. <laughs> you're still buying the game. How are you how are you hurting them? You're still buying the game. And yes, on Steam, in some cases, people are uh, review bombing it and then trying to refund it or or whatever else. You know, people typically will do things like that or try and do things like that. But now that they're making it to where you can't do that on Epic, um, as far as I know, uh, it's harder to get your refund on Epic Games Store than it is on Steam because obviously Steam has had a long process of this. The point is, is that... You, People are reviewing the old Metro games. I can't see reviews for the new. Well, so the new one hasn't launched yet. Um, so, so it's actually even worse. I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Sophia Tron, because the, I forgot that point of context. The game hasn't, uh, or I mentioned it in the very beginning. The game hasn't launched yet, but that means that the games that they're re, uh, review bombing aren't even the game in question. So they're essentially review bombing good games because Metro. 2033 uh, Redux and Metro uh, Last Light 2033 are good games. I've played these on stream. These are good games. Now, I've had my personal problems with the games, but that's because I play on the hardest difficulty, and I think that it's not properly balanced, but that's beside the point. As you can see on uh, on screen, let me get this on screen. Um, the Over the past 30 days, they've had 22% positive reviews. 4,184 users left them negative reviews on Metro 2033 Redux. Thank you for mentioning that, by the way, Sophia Chan. I forgot to mention that. Um, 22% on Last Light, 3,700 users over the past 30 days. Otherwise, these games are incredibly positive. Look at this. 80, uh, 80% positive reviews. 80% positive reviews of all time. These are very positive scores. This means that these... You know, according to the audience, 27,000 uh, people think this is a pretty good game, right? I think it's a good game. I've played it. I enjoy the game. And yet, people think by review bombing them, because they're using Epic Store, is a good idea. I mean, guys, you're using the wrong medium here, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think there's really anything more to say in that particular case than you're using the wrong medium. If you're going to try and insult a game on its credibility... Or sorry, on its foundational like game design, right? It's a bad game because of XX reason. That's what you leave a review for. But when you don't support a company, you don't review bomb their games that aren't even related to the game in question that you're complaining about. You just don't buy their games, period. You don't support them, period. Nobody is forcing you to buy these games. Do not support companies that you do not support. So review bombing is a silly, silly, silly idea to me. There's really, put it this way. Is there utility in review bombing? Yes. Is that utility better found in other mediums? Absolutely, yes it is. Artyom is hurt. <laughs> no, not Artyom. Artyom. Okay. All right, so we've had enough discussion about that particular It gets worse, though. It gets worse. And this is kind of where it goes from being I'm on the side of the developers to kind of being more back towards the middle. 
publishers respond to a comment from a dev that um, wasn't so great. Here's what the developer says concerning this recent review bombing or boycott or whatever else. This was an unnamed 4A Games staff member, apparently. Um, He says, It turns out that the developers for years have been hard and painful with losses, trying to do something special, but a certain category of players believes that our work is not worth a couple of minutes to install the launcher. Naturally, it is their life and their right. But then, what do they care about Metro? Obviously, it is not interesting to them. I can only say that they were not our players either. They are not interested in our work. Which means that, for example, the opinion of such people is not interesting for me either. What is the point for me personally to listen to their opinion? Now, 4A Games, is that some company that works in conjunction? Oh, sorry. Um, man, they're, they... <laughs> they get... This gets very confusing with how many companies are involved here. Why is there also a Deep Silver company who also does the port, apparently? Okay. It's because that's... that's um, Okay, I'm putting the pieces together here. It's very interesting. 4A Games is the independent company. Okay, it's the Ukrainian company, apparently. Deep Silver is uh, Mr. Coca-Cola Media's division. So essentially what's happening here is whenever 4A Games is working with uh, THQ Nordic, they're working with Deep Silver to work on their, their games. Okay, so, so this is THQ is one of the most confusing companies out there because they acquire so many companies and also have like subsidiary companies set up under different names. I'm, I'm not sure why. Like I'm sure there's tax reasons and I'm sure there's other reasons for this, but sorry if I seem totally confused by this it's because you see deep silver in the trailer and in the lo- the the load up when you're launching the game and yet you basically get no information about 4a games or who 4a games is now obviously this developer said something quite passionate now imagine your life's work work you've spent your your life on work you've spent the past three four years tolling over you're just you're putting so much work into this and then people immediately just say your game's not even worth downloading a launcher to play. You can see from an artistic standpoint how that would make you kind of sensitive, right? That being said, it's nearly never good to address the audience in that kind of way. Because like once you address the audience, they're always going to see you as being sour grapes or going to see you as essentially saying that their opinion doesn't matter. Because ultimately speaking, unfortunately, the kind of way it works in public opinion is the customer is always right. Because ultimately, they're the ones that buy whatever you're trying to sell. And so after a developer comes out and this says essentially just a passionate remark, a passionate statement, obviously fans weren't necessarily happy with that because they're trying to let the developers know here in, in their own messed up way that, look, it's not that we don't like your game. It's that we don't like this decision. But review bombing didn't do that. So I see why this guy in particular kind of got sensitive because it's like, it does seem like they're kind of like insulting you or insulting your work as well, not just saying this is a bad decision. So again, there's so many different perspectives here. I'm trying to take all the time to unpack so many different things instead of just making it uh, a discussion about whatever the headlines are. Apparently, um, they made a statement about this officially in a twit longer. Let me put this on screen. Metro Exodus says, 
The recent decision to move Metro Exodus from Steam to Epic Games Store was made by Coke Media or Deep Silver alone. The recent comments made by a member of 4A Games Development Team do, do not reflect Deep Silver's or 4A's game. <laughs> See, even they put both of them in the development team. It's weird how they, they do that. I don't, I'm not sure why exactly they have like these two separate kind of teams that work together under a publisher, another publisher. But anyway. Uh, it doesn't reflect their view on the future of the franchise. They do reflect the hurt and disappointment of a passionate individual who has been or ha who has seen what has previously nothing but po okay, what was previously n nothing but positive. That's a good way to or a, a weird way to put that sentence. I don't know why he would transition it like that, but anyway. But positive goodwill towards his work torn uh uh turned to controversy due to business decision he had no control over. We respectfully ask that any and all valid feedback over this decision is directed at Hook Media or Deep Silver and not the developers at 4A Games, which is basically what I said. The future release strategy of the Metro series lies within Deep Silver and Coke Media. Our decision to partner with Epic Games was based on the goal of investing in the future of the series and our development partner at 4A Games. We have every intention of continuing the franchise, and a PC version will always be at the heart of our plans. Interesting. Hmm. This has been interesting to watch unfold, but I've noticed I've made a couple posts about this on my uh, Twitter before, and I was quite surprised by the responses. First off, it seems like people are angry that people are willing to, I don't know, take their game, their rights, their licensing, their product to another platform. It's, well, first off, that's their choice. Every company has that choice, right? Now, we can address whether or not it's a good choice, right? But they had that choice themselves. It's just, to me, the saddest thing is I think about 4A Games, this small Ukrainian company who obviously created an amazing game. I love Metro as a series. Like, it's a great series. It's it's it seems very cookie cutter action game, and then you play it, and it feels way more authentic, even though it's not an RPG and it's just basically an on rails kind of shooter action game. Like it 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 it's more on rails than maybe most games that I necessarily like playing, but it's done so authentically in some ways that it it makes you feel like you're really a part of something. And of course, they had the advantage of using previous books. It's based on a book. Um, it's based on the. I think the author actually helps them. Um with the writing uh is it dimitri um what's his last name i'm sure somebody in chat knows but it's uh i believe it's either a ukrainian guy or a russian guy i've i've called either or before and uh, it usually doesn't go well so i'm not going to assume he's automatically ukrainian or assume he's automatically russian all right i'm 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 just about bored of talking about this particular topic i think we probably all are so we can move on now we don't have to talk about it anymore um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the open world RPG being developed by Nine Dots. And we can watch some of that gameplay on screen. He's Russian. Dmitry Glukovsky. Dmitry Glukovsky. Hey, thanks. Thank you for subbing, uh, Red Nose Dog. I appreciate that. Welcome to the Noir Club.
Oh, no, I totally agree, Lions. Being on rails isn't bad whenever the narrative and the story is actually fun to experience. <laughs> if anything, it's better for a guided story. Think about it. When you read a book, reading a book ain't an RPG. I mean, some can be. There, there are choose-your-own-adventures, which I very much enjoyed as a kid. The point being is, like, reading a book is a closed storyline. It's what writers call a closed circuit, right? It's like a closed story. It, it's not an open world, right? It's not the expanded universe. It's just a single book, uh, usually speaking. It's like a single book. And so those books can be damn good, as I'm sure all of you can remember, at least one or two good books you've read in your life. There's no, there's no difference in some of these games. These games can play very much like closed-circuit books of sorts. They don't need to always be open-world. You have 60 billion options. As long as they do what they do well, it's screen, that's all that really matters. Right. Okay. So split screen horizontally. Do you want to be on guard duty? Cool. This game is called Outward. It's designed by Nine Dots. Uh, for those wondering, let me get this on screen. And it's a game that sort of looks like a mixture between like Fable, like a mixture between. Hmm. I'm thinking Fable. It's got me thinking Fable in some ways. They've got the compass up here. They have the little like. I'm assuming this is where you pick your abilities over here on the right, and this is where your health and like stamina bars are, or something of that sort. It does look pretty damn similar to uh, to Fable. Apparently, co-op is a big focus in this game. And another really cool aspect of it, as he's basically describing right here during the video, is that it's one of those games that's not going to make you a special chosen one. In fact, you're just going to be an average Joe. Or an average Jill, whatever tickles your fantasy. Average Jill or average Joe. And that kind of plot line and that kind of story and narrative is honestly something that's like desperately been missing. So many people have kind of voiced these concerns before, but there's been concerns of the whole idea that we're getting tired of being the chosen one. We don't want to be the chosen one anymore. We want to be who we want to be in that given time when we create our character. Meaning, I don't want the responsibility to always have to be the chosen one. Not everybody wants to be the chosen one. Not everyone is meant to be the hero or the chosen one. Some people just want to be just kind of regular people. And the idea of just being able to be a regular person and play co-op in a game that's potentially, you know, about being cooperatively challenging, it seems pretty interesting to me. Some people certainly did make comparisons to Dark Souls in regards to the way that aiming works or or whatever else. The 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 saying Dark Souls clone though is kind of weird because didn't Fable 1 come out way before Dark Souls? It looks more like Fable to me. Strange. I mean Dark Souls came out in like what? 09 or some shit? 2011. Fable came out in 2004. And was in development in ninety like nine or two thousand. I'm 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 curious how 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 does the game that comes after make the clone of the game that comes before? That's what I, I've always wondered uh, that about people. We talk about inspiration. Just because it it looks similar to Dark Souls doesn't mean Dark Souls is the only type of game that could possibly have gotten. Um, its inspiration from because Dark Souls wasn't the original of its own kind either in regards to the type of dungeon crawler, you know, third person camera 
slower, more difficult combat. What to me makes Dark Souls uh, interesting is it has all of this lore, basically no story, and then just throws you in there and says, good luck. That's kind of what makes Dark Souls great to me, um, though it's not necessarily my kind of game. <laughs> Dark Souls invented video games. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Dark Souls is a hugely popular game, man, but I'm just saying, when I say Fable, man, Fable came out like eight years before. <laughs> It's a pretty huge difference. Eight years is a huge time difference. Um, I just realized I didn't even put myself in podcast lobby. Just so everybody knows, we are getting the or we're nearing the end of the uh, current gaming news segment. We're going to transition into the MMOs on the go segment, which is talking about things uh, in the realm of MMOs, followed by some soapbox time, which is going to be me talking about um, my previous death of a game, Marvel. And then at the end of the podcast, as always, there is a call-in segment where you can um, call in to our Discord. Currently, right now, we have cards sitting in Podcast Lobby. If you have any questions for me, you can queue them up with him. If you don't have time to ask in Discord, you can at me in a Twitch chat, and I'll try and get to those by the end of the podcast. Okay, so let me go ahead and transition into the MMOs on the go segment. I don't have much else to talk about here. We 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 took some or we we tackled some serious topics. We've tackled some trolley topics. I think we had a good balance today. No one ever brings up Demon Souls, yeah, because it's probably the I, I would probably say the first of the of the idea or of the series is never the one that gets all the hoopla, is it? Because like Fable One is probably the most popular Fable game I could think of. Is it is Fable remembered for Fable 1 or Fable 2? At this rate, I'd probably say Fable 2, right? Not saying that that's necessarily a good thing or whatever. All right, so the first thing that I wanted to get through um, in the MMOs on the Go segment was kind of a bit of a meme. We got to get the memes out of the way first. And um, it's a pretty funny post. In MMORPG subreddit, um, sometimes you have everybody saying Guild Wars 2 is the greatest game ever. Final Fantasy XIV is the greatest game. ESO is the greatest game. You have a lot of that. You have a lot of every MMO sucks ever. So you have the opposite. So either everything is great or everything's terrible. But I saw a particularly funny post. And it was one kind of making fun of how so many Kickstarter MMOs work. And I figured why not just like role play it out on screen. I mean, th this is like basically what we've all experienced before. I'll, I'll link this in chat so you guys can um, read along but I'm going to put myself in big screen here. All right. This guy says, this is how you make an MMORPG Kickstarter. Hello, I'm Michael Pratt, and welcome to the Kickstarter video for our new MMORPG. Cue one minute intro, which shows pictures of poorly sketched monsters and maybe a castle or something in the background. I'm here today to tell you about a project we're working on. We've heard that you're looking for an MMORPG that's like the ones that you remember from the old days, but with a fresh twist from the modern gaming generation. That's why I wanted to present you with World of Chronicles Quest Online. Stumbles into back room, walks out with a confused looking man clasped firmly by the shoulders. <laughs> remember this guy? Sure you do. You don't remember him. Tommy Jackoff is his name, and he worked on all the best MMOs of all time in the 90s. I'm talking Ultima, EverQuest, and... RuneScape, and he spelled it with R-O-O. <laughs> I don't know. He was on all the teams. Even he was a lead or something. Pat's guy on shoulder. Dust flies into the air. <laughs> He's a really good guy. One of the best there. 
After all, those MMORPGs went downhill. He didn't adapt to a changing climate. He left the industry, was working in retail outlet for the last decade, and because of that, we're more than certain he has what it takes to bring us to the next big thing. <laughs> Screen changes to a man typing on an IBM computer as the presenter walks into view. We're using the best programming lang languages today to make this game happen. We're talking about C, C++, C Sharp, Python, JavaScript, and Java. Points at camera, you name it, we're using it. <laughs> Presenter walks over to Blackboard. Here's what we'll be doing in Revolutionary World of Chronicles Quest Online. Draws a stick figure of a man. <laughs> this is you, and you'll get to play as this person. He can be a knight, a magician, a thief, uh, a jester, or something, I don't know. You'll get to play it as this person in this game. Uh, screen shows a 10 second clip of a gray untextured monster using a generic auto attack animation. Screen cuts black to blackboard as presenter draws an arrow from player's stick figure to monster. You as the player, <laughs> you as the player will be able to kill these monsters. Dude, we should, <laughs> we should do this with paint on screen. I feel like this would be much better. All right, here we go. So this is the presenter. He draws the blackboard. He's like, this is you. You're a wizard. And now time to use your, and then, and then it shows like some untextured monster. He's like some kind of goblin looking thingy. You could use this magic on this character. It's amazing. Wow, incredible. This is, this is a game I've never heard of. Like, the scopes of this game is just insane. And as a result, you're gonna get stronger from it. So guess what that means? In this game, guys, you're going to level up. Yes, now you are level... Two. You can level in this game. Isn't that insane? You can actually level up in this game. By killing monsters, you're gonna level up. It's crazy. Wow. And there will be lots of dungeons full of these monsters, which you can kill and make money from. Presenter puts the marker away and turns back to the camera. The screen darkens, the lighting changes, and the presenter's eyes look as though they're tearing up. MMO players, we've heard from you. We've heard your cries for something better, something more, something that's better than what's out there. And we want to make that game better for you. Two-second clip of a colorless, untextured knight character running through a low-poly forest. We like MMORPGs here, guys. We like playing them. We like making them. And know you want to play them as we make them. The angle cuts down to the camera. Or he cuts down as the presenter kneels and looks down into the camera. But we need your help. We've got the people. Got the tools. Most importantly, we've got the heart. But we don't have the money. That's where you come in. You're going to give us money. Screen changes as camera pans down to an extensive list of stretch goals, including pledge 10,000 to do our work for us and create a raid for us, or maybe even a million dollars, and we will ha host our games on NASA's servers with a 0.25 second ping globally. This is a masterful troll post, okay? That's why I have to roleplay it out. Help us make the game we've all been dreaming of. Ends with a three-second clip of an untextured knight running through a low-poly forest. A screen fades to black. 
congratulations. You've just seen the majority of the Kickstarter uh, platform launches, essentially. That's, that's like the majority of Kickstarter experiences is right there. You get a bunch of untextured footage. You get a bunch of ideas. And basically this. All right, guys. Instead of showing you gameplay, because we're in pre, 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 this is in the future, by the way. This is in like 2131. We're in pre, 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 alpha, omega, beta, beta, EA, early access. And we're going to show you exactly how you can play our game. Wait, but I thought you guys don't have any gameplay footage. It's all good. So here's the concepts. You're a guy, and you attack monsters. And then you level up. And then you can attack a big castle. And then do a quest. It's amazing. I'm, I'm joking here, and I'm being uh, obviously very tongue-in-cheek. But the point is, is that it does drive me crazy when I see people get so hyped about these MMOs and these different Kickstarters when it's just like they've showed you no gameplay and the gameplay they have showed you is so rudimentary. You have nothing to go off other than just the ideas. Don't buy something on idea, right? Don't buy something on an idea. Unless you're an inventor, you've done some crazy amount of research or you're a genius. Buying something just because of an idea is not really a good idea. <laughs> Irony, I know, but it, it's not really a good idea, right? Because it's like, I can sit up here and create the best idea for an MMO you guys have ever heard in your entire life. But doesn't mean I can create the same game. What do you guys think? If having a good idea was all it took to make a good game, wouldn't there be more good games? Wouldn't there be more good MMOs? If all it took was just good ideas. It doesn't just take good ideas, right? It takes a lot more. It takes execution. It takes the right funding. It takes the right foundation, the right team. It takes the right idea, the right angle, the right marketing, the right platform, the right business strategy, the right niche, uh, the right time. Sometimes games fail just because they launch at the wrong time, right? Sometimes they launch too early. There are too many reasons to assume that a game can fail until you can actually play the game. So it's no longer rational for us MMO goers to be caught up in the hype like we used to. Because back then, we didn't know what to expect. We know what to expect now. And these games that are coming out so far, until they can actually put their money where their mouth is and prove to us that they can function as an MMO, not just a game, an MMO, I don't know if we should really trust them yet. Now, ultimately, you can make whatever decisions you want with your dollars. If you believe in a Kickstarter project enough to want to fund it and you're not afraid to necessarily lose out on your investment, make that decision. Stick by it. But just remember that if you don't feel that way and you're not willing to lose that money and you want to play something that's, well, frankly, in more of a complete state and more of a game-like state, just wait, guys. Just wait. I know it sucks because... Everyone counters that with, well, then what do we play, Nerd Slayer? What MMOs do we play? And I know. I'm not playing any MMOs right now. It's, I'm not happy about it. It's not a great thing. 
I hate going even just weeks without playing MMOs, but I don't want to support companies that I don't believe in and I don't think make good decisions, so I can't play those games. I don't really like whatever the current fair, current flavor of games are because it's basically no stakes, no difficulty, and, well, no community. And so the only thing that I, someone like me can essentially do is talk about theory, talk about games that are out right now, and talk about games in the past, and hope that eventually a developer will step in, take the good stuff from the past, the good stuff from the future, and make a new good game and push this market forward. Talk about this a lot, but that's why at the end of the day, we do come back to, we need to get smarter on what we, what we expect from developers and what we expect from people who make our games. And we need to stop trusting these people who basically just give us a bunch of promises, right? Because I just feel like that's very dangerous. Crowdfunding is awesome. It's a great thing. We want these smaller developers, these smaller companies who have the ability to be able to create their own MMOs. We don't want MMO development to only be locked behind AAA developers because basically what that means is that Nexon, NCSoft, um, Pearl of this, EA, um, Turbine, Zenimax, those are the only companies that are, Square Enix, those are the only companies that are going to make games like that. They're the only ones that can afford it, right? Think about it. The most popular MMOs right now, WoW, ESO, Final Fantasy XIV, and um, what's the other one off the top? Um, Guild Wars 2. Those are the four most popular MMOs right now. All four of those games are headed by massive companies that have been around for some time and have established IPs. So... Right now, MMO business is a matter of big business. But with the introduction of things like Kickstarter, <clears throat> we're seeing a shift back towards the smaller developers. <clears throat> That's scary, though. Every time you introduce a new positive, you also introduce new negatives. Sure, AAA development is great when it works. When it doesn't work, it's horrible, right? It really sets things back in terms of pro progress in the market. <clears throat> So sometimes you need the little players, the niche guys, uh, the small market to make the innovations. Then the AAA companies copy those and then essentially refine them, right? That's typically kind of how these, this process works. The problem is, is that the MMA, or sorry, MMA, <laughs> the MMO market is so expensive and so difficult that these small companies for the longest time had no conceivable way to ever make this kind of game. They, they couldn't make the kind of game that they wanted to create. They didn't have the ability, they didn't have the engine, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the resources, etc., etc. And so I do like MMA as well. Uh, so that wasn't necessarily a complete slip, um, but it, it, was, it was a slip in that sense. <laughs> um, so the AAA companies have been essentially just taking the same exact formula and repurposing it in a different world with a different IP, right? All four of those games I just mentioned are very, very similar. They are. They're very similar because they're all essentially stealing from each other. They have the money. They have the IP. They can put out these big, you know, dollar expansions. But these small developers, they need things like Kickstarter. They need things like early access. They need these other ways to accumulate funds because they can't just rely on investors, guys, because investors in this day and age aren't so willing to get involved in MMOs anymore. 
we're kind of like on the, the the valley part of our of our market, right? We're not on the peak. We're not we're not coming up. We're at the we're at the valley right now. So we're kind of down in the trenches. And um investors don't they're not they're not confident that they're going to get their money back. They're not going to get their ROIs back. That's why we're not seeing as many MMOs as we as we've seen before. Now, the levels to which we used to see them between t- 2007 and 2013 was probably crazy. As Sophia Chan said, it was a bubble that just bursted because everybody wanted to capitalize on that WoW success, right? They wanted to capitalize on what made WoW successful. Everybody was lining up in droves. And I'm talking investors are lining up with checkbook in hand ready to throw a couple hundred million at a game to get some of that revenue, right? And not just that revenue, but imagine you have a global audience as well. Not just you have 10 million subs or 5 million subs or a million subs. They're all over the world. Meaning you can sell products in so many different countries. You have such a big market share of things now. Um, More recognition. It's like there's so many great things that come with being and operating a successful MMORPG. But when that bubble burst, when people realized how hard it was to make an MMO, right? And, and those people, unfortunately, you had the business people try and get people in the actual RPG space to make MMORPGs, but then heavily restricted them and heavily put restrictions on them. Say, say for example, Mark Jacobs, whenever he made Warhammer Online, was heavily restricted by uh, EA and what he could do. He had to ship that game as a two-faction game. You think Mark Jacobs wanted to launch Warhammer Online as two factions? You see what I'm saying? So, large developers large companies and large money is useful when it's useful, but it can be very detrimental. And it has been very detrimental for this market. It's just unfortunate that we are such an expensive and hard market that we don't have as many ragtag developers that put out great products because it's much harder to do that. RPGs don't have that problem. RPGs can have some obscure RPG launch tomorrow that we've never heard of that actually could be pretty good, right? From some random you know, RPG maker or some Unity project some guy was working on. The point being is like the barrier to entry for a single player RPG is much, much lower. Also the price. These people who work on community games can sell them at 5 to $10. You cannot sell an MMO at 5 to $10 in any way, shape, or form. You cannot rely on just $5 a month from your customer anymore. That's not enough, right? To really like run a business. So it's like MMOs have a lot more on the line, have a lot more to lose. Boy, do they have a lot more upside, right? The idea that we can take our favorite universes, be able to realize them in an online format, play with whoever we want, meet new people, and create whatever character we want, that's an idea that will never not be alluring to me. Sorry, I grew up on MMOs, as you can tell. I'm a little bit passionate about them. The idea, to me, of an MMO is always awesome. But as Luden said, now also imagine all of that with your VR headset on in the future. And every little thing that you want to buy costs real life money. <clears throat> Imagine you're walking around, you've got your headset on. You walk up and you see, man, that sword looks awesome, man. How much? How many coins? Oh, this one's not for sale for coins. What do you mean? Oh, this one you need to buy uh, VR bucks in order to get this one. <sighs> I just hope that we as a, as a community and as a consumer base make sure to, to hold these developers accountable. So we don't have VR bucks in the future, all right? I'm just kidding, but seriously, could you imagine that? (laughs) Microtransactions in VR. (laughs) You're like, an ad pops up on your screen. You're like trying to like 
<laughs> on the on your computer screen, you can just click off the ad, right? Or like minimize it. When you're playing VR MMOs in the future, ads are gonna pop up on your screen. Would you like to sub now? And you're gonna be like, dude, get out of the way. You're like trying to like fight a monster. There's like ads on your screen and shit. I, I am laughing, but it probably would happen in, in some way, shape, or form. It is Black Mirror, the MMO version, basically. 100% immersive money spending simulator. It won't be a joke when next week we see VR bugs. <laughs> There's a bit in a Sword Art Online abridged episode. I, you know, I've been meaning to watch some of those old school uh, animes that really play up the whole, like, um, we're in an MMO. I've heard good things about um, Otherworld, I believe it's called, or Overlord. Is it Overlord or Otherworld? I know you anime fans in chat know. Um, there's Sword Art. There's Dot Hack. I, I haven't seen Dot Hack in some time. I never have seen Sword Art. And um, I haven't seen the other one either. Over Overlord. I haven't seen that one either. But I want to watch those three because they all have this idea of like being an MMO and an anime. So if you guys could give me some recommendations for other anime like that, or if any of those are good, please let me know because I do like anime and I do like mmo so i've been looking for more mmo anime just just to kind of see like how absurd everything's gotten uh, in anime in regards to mmos but also see like how real and how comparable it is to like actual mmos sometimes with sci-fi the funny thing like i know a little bit unrelated but in sci-fi sci-fi has predicted things that science didn't even know right there's been a couple examples of this where sci-fi uh authors came up with things that scientists didn't even know was possible and then tested and then it actually was possible <laughs> it's kind of funny in the sense like mmo developers are realizing hmm, maybe we should do some dot hack kind of things or maybe we do some should do something like overlord or whatever else where you can like actually kind of impact your world and like become part of your character and like change like imagine that level of immersion i mean we all can imagine it because we watch anime but we also just love mmos Sci-fi invented tablets. There you go. Three season in it so far. It's good for the role playing aspect regarding role playing. I couldn't get into dot hack was a little too slow. And the fact that the character didn't like he was stuck in an MMO, you couldn't relate. But you know what? I actually, that's a good point. I, I think that's a fair criticism. I think I would have the same criticism, but we're also giant nerds who love MMOs. So, you know, take our perspective with a grain of salt, right? All right, so there's been a extended teaser trailer for a new job in Final Fantasy XIV, and although I'm, uh, you know, not Mr. Final Fantasy XIV guy, I figure I'd show it off, since people do like when I talk about the more general MMO news sometimes, too. Is there not actually going to be any gameplay? So it's just an extended teaser trailer. All right, if you like um, visual porn, I would definitely watch this. Final Fantasy has always, you know, done a great job of of doing visual porn. They do these like cinematic trailers that look awesome and they're incredibly detailed and stuff. <clears throat> it's just a shame like the thing that I hate the most about really good trailers like this is that whenever you watch them, you just wish that it was some inkling of the kind of gameplay that you could experience, right? They like give you this unrealistic expectation of like what you're going to actually experience. That's one of my biggest issues with Final Fantasy, funny enough, especially the MMO, is like, you guys show this plot and this storyline, it looks awesome. And then I play the game and it's like, when I watch this trailer, this doesn't look like a 1.5 GCD. 
Is it still two at two seconds or is it 1.5 now? Can somebody correct me on that? I don't know if it's um. Oh, okay, so there is a, a class trailer. Let's look that one up then. Is it? It's a. Wait, I thought I thought he said it, it was a gunblade. Oh, it's a job. Sorry, Final Fantasy fans. The dupe. Oh, so it's still a 2.5 GCD. Uh, like my single biggest criticism for Final Fantasy has always been GCD. Oh, the class is called Gunbreaker. Why did that guy put Gunblade? Oh, so he was just saying like they're going to or they've confirmed a Gunblade class, which is not actually a class or a job. It's just the weapon. But Gun. Breaker is the name of the uh, class or job. Sorry, I don't know if there's actually either or, or, or is it just jobs? <clears throat> I haven't played Final Fantasy fourteen in like five years. Oh, so this is... Oh, I see. I see why he said Gunblade, because he's a Final Fantasy fan, so he sees the Gunblade and he gets excited, because everybody remembers uh, Squall from... Uh, Final Fantasy VIII in his uh, gun blade that was like no point. <laughs> Everyone's like, "What's the point of a gun blade? It looks cool, but really, like, it does look pretty damn cool." I love their art styles too. That's another thing about Final Fantasy, man. I just I wish there was more story and more ways to like do cooperative story in this game. If you told me that you could reskin Final Fantasy XIV to actually be as if I would experience like or as I've experienced Final Fantasy XI, something closer to Final Fantasy XI with updated graphics, and maybe they can, I don't know, change the GCD. <laughs> I think that'd be closer to a game that I would enjoy. But right now, Final Fantasy XIV is doing really, really well, and it's gobbling up a lot of the PvE audience from Final... Or sorry, from, from WoW. I'm seeing a lot of turnover. I'm hearing this from people, but I'm also seeing statistics that kind of back this up. Uh, you know, we might have joked that Final Fantasy XIV was coming back at one point after it kind of sl slowed down after Heaven Sword, but I think it's pretty damn obvious that they are doing well, as is ESO and as is Guild Wars 2. Uh, WoW's competitors are doing slightly better. It's, it's certainly an interesting dynamic. People complain about the GCD, but at higher levels, there are a lot of off-GCD abilities. I hear that. Um, I do hear that a, a lot, Kynaris. In fact, I hear that the GCD, unfortunately, is most impactful early on um, for melee classes. It makes them feel the most boring. I, I didn't have much issue playing spellcasters. Um, I, I believe I was messing around with some of the mages. Like, I believe it was the... I tried the white and the blue. It, didn't they recently put in the, the, the dark one? The black mage? Or was that the red mage that they recently... No, it was was it the red or the blue mage that they recently put in the game? I can't remember, but I, I didn't try that one, obviously, because that just came out. I tried the one of the other mages. Doesn't anyone have the same opinion that Final Fantasy XIV looks like a very old game? I think it looks like a very good-looking game, uh, especially for its age. My issue with the game, <clears throat> as I've mentioned before, <clears throat> is that they treat it kind of like how Final Fantasy 14 or sorry how Final Fantasy treats its like single player which is kind of like although it's this 
open world, so to say, it's very much like closed circuit. There's not a whole lot of impact you can have in the game. Again, these are my common complaints with most games, so don't take it personal to Final Fantasy XIV. This is my complaint with ESO. This is my complaint with Guild Wars 2. They all, I basically have pretty much all the same complaint for all of them because they have relatively the same kind of models with, hear me out, different ways of implementing them because they're not the same games. They do things differently. They have different IPs, obviously, and different allures. They focus particularly on different things. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV likes to focus on raids and likes to focus on these group content. Guild Wars likes to focus on fractals or or sometimes they do those big like story events, world events, and costumes. Um, ESO likes to focus on expansions, story expansions, story plot lines, new classes, that sort of stuff. And then, um, uh, what was the other one we didn't mention? We said ESO, we said Guild Wars, we said Final Fantasy. Oh, wow. Well, wow. <laughs> I'm not really sure what they're focusing on. It looks like they're just focusing on getting themselves out of a hole. But I'm not sure if that's going to work. Blue Mage. Okay, Red Mage was the one that I got to try then with Stormblood. Thanks, uh, Kynaris. Black Mage came out at launch. That's not the one. I Blue Mage was the one that released three weeks ago. I was wondering how Blue Mage was because I've always been a fan of Blue Mage myself. Okay, um, not much more to talk about with Final Fantasy XIV. We actually went way longer than I expected here. There was kind of a little bit of an alarmist thread. Maybe some would even say exaggerative in some cases. But there was a thread concerning uh, another recent uh, WoW Store mount edition. Now, for some people, you're probably going to be like, come on. Oh, what, what ability from Shiva? Is it like... um? Blizzardaga? <laughs> Man, I'm a nerd that I remember that stuff. But um, yeah, people aren't exactly happy that WoW and Activision, um, in particular Activision Blizzard, is releasing yet more store mounts. Now, this in and itself doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you actually see people kind of break it down here, they'll explain to you why it actually is a big deal. In the big... Uh, um, I, I, what's this thing? In the big scheme of things. I couldn't remember that saying. Okay, check this out. From the WoW sub. There has been a store item every single month apart from October. Which is more than made up for by double dipping during certain months. September and December. September had the Dreadwake bundle. Which had players buy into a six month plan which they now regret. September sold the Captain Crackers pet for $10. November had the Wamper pet. Whilst for charity, don't fool yourself. They're going to remove... They aren't going to remove this from the store when the charity window is over. December had the Volpine Familiar Mount for $25. December had the See You Later Bundle. A manipulative Disney vault practice which took the least popular store mounts and tried to flog them for cheap. January has the Pig Mount. February will have, as they're speculating, possibly more mounts. Now, obviously, this, again, in a small vacuum doesn't mean much but when you look at the the you know the the whole broad picture here people are just seeing more more of the same and this worries people right when they're hearing we're gonna fix it we're gonna make things right eight point you know whatever is going to fix whatever our issues were before we promise just buy one more mount just one more mount just one more mount just one more mount every month one more mount just one more mount Clearly, they're monetizing heavily, and they're trying to make 
up money that maybe they had lost for their less than stellar launch of BFA. <clears throat> the thing about subscription-based MMOs, and this is sort of where WoW is almost in a, in a league of its own, is that with WoW, when you have that subscription, you're paying, you know, your 10 to $15 a month, depending on where you live. And that's basically your ceiling. But WoW didn't really want that to be the ceiling. Because as they're watching the free-to-play uh, companies and buy-to-play companies introduce cash shops and do them very successfully, they think to themselves, well, why wouldn't we also find more ways to monetize within our model as well? So instead of locking ourselves on a $15 a month price tag or price limit ceiling for a particular customer, we can say $15 is just for our sub fee. Now we're also going to charge another amount every month. So maybe only a tenth of your customers purchases that month. Uh, or that mount for that month. But remember, WoW has a lot of vanity fans. People love collecting mounts. It's very likely that if WoW has at least 1 million people playing left, which it has more than that, but let, bear with me here. Easy statistics. And point one of them, a tenth of them, right? 100K of them purchase a $25 mount. They just made 2.5 million. How many subs is that? Do you guys see why sub fees aren't really so enticing for developers anymore and for publishers and for everybody else under the sun? Right? Uh, I've heard mixed reviews about that. In terms of subs, it is, Kynaris, but ESO has gotten multiple million people playing it. Mind you, I'm not saying all of them are, are, um, are subbed. Um, and, and FF, actually, Final Fantasy XIV, last I checked, the highest it's ever gotten was 1.8, right? Or 1.9 million. Now it's probably, after Heaven Sword, it dropped down to like 1.3. It dropped all the way down to 800k. But then they released two different expansions since then. So it's probably gone back over a mil, I would at least say. Final Fantasy XIV is probably over a mil. ESO for subbed? It's probably not over a mil, but for players, it's over a mil for sure. And Guild Wars 2, I, I, to be honest, I, they don't, they're really hard to track their metrics. They're not really like transparent with people about their metrics. So I'm not sure about Guild Wars 2 in terms of its level of success. But um, this is what I'm trying to tell you guys. Why get 166,000 people to sub to your game to make $2.5 million when you can just get 100,000 people to buy it for $25. Wait, was it $20? Was 20 the math that I did? Oh, sorry. Uh, 166,000 subs paying $15 a month is $2.5 million. That's, that's just insane to me. That the equivalent... For selling 100K skins is the equivalent of 166K subs. Sorry, just my, I grew up on sub-based games, all right? So I'm still learning about all of these different models. And even though I've done videos and I'm very aware of what microtransactions, free-to-play, and buy-to-play types of models try and do, it still shocks you sometimes to do the math and realize, like, the sub-model day by day is looking less and less alluring, right? 
I've read somewhere that Blizzard makes more money from WoW tokens. That doesn't surprise me at all. That just enforces basically what I'm trying to say, which is that the standard isn't $15 anymore from a, from a WoW customer or from a MMO customer. Developers aren't looking at us at, at $15 a month anymore, guys. They're looking at us like this. That's how they're looking at us. They're looking at us with big question marks. If I could write a question mark over this, that's what I would do. I would just put a bunch of question marks. Actually, wait, can I multiply zero times zero to show my point here? Nah, sometimes it, it'll put an error up here. That's what I'd like to showcase. It's even worse when you realize how much is made from mobile microtransactions compared to PC. Quite sickening. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, uh, especially when you consider their other games like Hearthstone, um, which makes, obviously, bonkers levels of money. The, the bar has been moved. $15 is no longer the ceiling. We've reached a much higher ceiling. Not, I'm not saying that's a good thing either. I don't think it is. All right, so the last thing I'm going to get to on the MMOs on the Go segment is going to be Legends of Aria. There's been some recent drama surrounding Legends of Aria. This is a game that I've both played, covered, and um, even um, uh, talked about on this podcast a couple of times. So Legends of Aria was sort of like a newer spiritual successor to Ultima Online, or was attempting to be. The problem with Legends of Aria, well, there's a couple of problems. Um, but basically, the whole drama unfolds because LOA or developers, or sorry, or their developers, um, or their main developer rather, is Supreme. Supreme is the guy that I have um, had some conversations with. I've actually spoken to him personally. Now, when I first heard about LOA, I wanted to learn more about it because although a spiritual successor to UO sounds cool in theory, I've never been one of those people that think that doing the old school stuff again is going to necessarily work again, right? So I was like watching with, with like a furrowed brow, right? I was like, hmm, like, and this kind of thing works. Same thing with Pantheon. I'm like... And old school EverQuest work again with like newer bells and whistles? We'll see. And so whenever I spoke to Supreme concerning their game, I asked him about their business model. He said that they would be introducing a cash shop, but that the cash shop would be only cosmetic and wouldn't offer any pay to win whatsoever. I was told this personally. Now, that changed. LOA laid out a uh, post on their uh, Reddit. Um, uh, it's probably under top past week. <laughs> there's a, there's a reaction to this. All right. We got to watch that meme. Okay. Here's the patch notes that I don't want to look at yet. Cause it's not part of the story. So basically what happens is they announced that they are going to be uh, unveiling the cash shop, which everybody, of course, was expecting. Except this time, when they unveiled the cash shop, they told everybody that they would be releasing XP potions as well as uh, skill respec potions. Now, XP potions, obviously, everybody here is probably aware of them in some way, shape, or form in free-to-play games or buy-to-play games. They have XP potions. Even, even subscription-based MMOs, in some cases, have XP potions that you can purchase in a store. 
Now, this outraged the fans of LOA because for them, it wasn't that the XP potion in itself is pay to win. It's that it was a slippery slope. Um, to them, they see it as a slippery slope, which is sometimes a bit, bit of a fallacy when people overly rely on the idea of slippery slope, but I digress. They think it's a slippery slope. If they violated our trust and basically now reneged on the fact that they said that they wouldn't increase um, how much they would monetize people and monetize people in ways that would help their performance in-game, what's to stop them from releasing gear in the future? What's to stop them from doing even more types of things, right? People were really worried about that. So there was a big uh, drama scare about that. And that's sort of what this video, if you've never seen this meme, uh, enjoy. Im Süden hat der Gegner Zossen genommen und stößt auf Stahnsdorf vor. Der Feind operiert jetzt am nördlichen Stadtrand zwischen Fronau und Pankow. I might have to not full screen so you guys can see it properly. There you go. Mit dem Angriff Steiners wird das alles in Ordnung kommen. Why does this meme never get old, dude? Mein Führer. Steiner. Steiner konnte nicht genügend Kräfte für einen Angriff massieren. Der Angriff Steiner ist nicht erfolgt. <laughs> I love how his hand trembles there. Such great acting in that scene. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll mute it for you, Kynaris. Sorry, I don't know. Um, I forgot, actually, that you, you are a German speaker. I believe we have one more, too. In the chat, I mean. We have another German speaker. <laughs> Did CS learn nothing from Shroud of the Avatar? Oh, you're not German, but you speak it. Interesting. Yeah, my, um... My uncle lives in Germany. He speaks it. He's not German either. My girlfriend's actually from Germany. But she doesn't speak it fully. She's not fluent. Okay, so let's talk about this a bit. There's a bunch to unpack here. Um, first off, they said that they would rethink doing power options after people got really pissed that they that they um announced that they would be doing them. But here's where I I just I try not to sound arrogant in this uh, sorry specific point, but I always end up scratching my head. Like, does does no one beta test like their questions or decisions? Do they do people just genuinely not ask their audience or consumer base or customers what they think? I guess sorry, this is strange for me because I've worked in project management in the past where essentially I'm always interacting with my customer because I don't have a choice. But it also just feels natural to interact with my customer since they're my customer. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that there was a, a statement released where uh, 
Aria, or sorry, um, the main developer, Supreme, said that they had checked with their audience. And through speaking with their audience, they had determined that a labor potion was not pay to win. That's what they said. I'm trying to find this. Um... Okay, here we go. A statement from the project lead regarding the upcoming in-game store. In the past, when asked in Q&As and in conversations with players, we have said that Cash Shop would only be cosmetic. We wanted to avoid being pay-to-win. We have come to the conclusion it's not the right way to avoid pay-to-win for this game. So he's literally admitting that he's agreeing to changing his business model to being at least somewhat more pay-to-win. This is very, 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 very much a red flag. How he would ever think that he should ever phrase it this way truly has me perplexed. This is how I know, and I can tell you guys personally now, because I have a little bit of personal information from meeting with Supreme. Is it out of the question to assume by this point these devs look a little bit out of their um, depth? Now, most new developers are going to be out of their depth because launching an MMO is an insanely difficult task. <clears throat> that being said, people, including some of my friends, have said to me, an XP potion doesn't really seem pay to win. <clears throat> and while I don't necessarily want to debate that exact point because semantically it is pay to win, so I won't really have that semantical discussion, people don't understand that it's not just the fact that is it pay to win or is it not pay to win. You have to look at things holistically. In the case of Legends of Aria, or CS, the company in this case, or Supreme, his company, um, working on LOA, they've already delayed their launch four to five times. Um, they've delayed their early access launch. They delayed their actual launch many, of, many times, and they've also delayed a couple of updates, meaning that the fans are used to them kind of delaying things. The reason that they had to delay many of these things is because they didn't have the infrastructure in place, right? They essentially didn't expect to do as well as they did. And so when they did start to do well, they were like, oh, shit, we need to kind of step up our game and do our um, infrastructure. The reason why I, I kind of admit this is a little bit more personal to me than maybe for most people is because I'm going to go big face here. I spoke to Supreme and he told me this personally, and I kind of went out of my way and made sure people learned about this game. And so it, it hurts me a little bit because it's like I feel like my ethics get called into question by association. So let me make this abundantly clear. From the very beginning, I didn't think Supreme had really any strong clue of how he was going to handle um, business uh, models within his game. But he made that very apparent. He said himself, we're not really sure. Right now, Cash Shop, we're saying it's not going to be pay to win. Um, the reason why I bring up this kind of slightly private... Uh, sorry, this is not a private discussion. He said I could say anything publicly. So let me, let me get that out there. Um, I share this bit with you because I had a little bit more information and having more of like a personal relationship with this person, it's not the fact that they made the mistake. To me, it's the fact, that, sorry, it's not the fact that they um, um, have come out on top now that they've tried to fix the issue or whatever else. It's that you make the mistake and then you immediately change your mind. Just, you can't do that, right? It looks so bad for your company to be like, all right, we've decided to make a big decision. We're gonna do labor potions. We've talked to the community. As the, this is literally what they've said. We've talked to the community. Seemed like a great idea. It isn't, by the way. Shroud of the Avatar literally just suffered from this exact problem, as they mentioned in the video. Um, 
And so, and Albion had the same problem with pay to win too, with their gold, people were buying gold, which meant that they could lock down shops in cities so other players couldn't get shops. Essentially, that game supported those who bought more gold. You think they would have learned from that? They didn't. And so the fact that they even decided to be like, you know what, this is what we're doing, putting my flag down, I'm not against that, right? Now, obviously, if you end up being killed with that flag, so to say, like metaphorically speaking, it's your own fault, right? You decided to stand on something that kind of ended your company. But in this particular case, it annoys me because it's like, did you not know that? I mean, come on. Like, what did you expect? Did you not actually address your audience or have a conversation with your audience about what was considered pay to win? Why not have that discussion first? That way you get everything out of the way of what's considered pay to win, what's not. That way you know, even if I do something that is considered pay to win and we disagree, I'm doing that with the explicit knowledge or implicit knowledge that I already know my community is not going to like it. That way when you make it, it's more of like a, you're doing it based on a gamble. Is it worth pissing off my audience to get that extra ROI? In this particular case, it obviously wasn't because just about all the audience was like, you need to stop this shit. We're not okay with this. You promised us that you wouldn't do this. And so then immediately reneging on that looks, makes your company look very, very, very weak, right? Not only does it make your company feel weak, it makes your company look as if you can make big decisions like that, which you shouldn't be able to do. Like you should not be able to, to make such an integral business decision that quick, right? It should be difficult to come to this conclusion. They should have done research, months of research. They should have tested the audience first to know their, their medium, right? These are very common things that you do in business. And I have a little bit of an advantage in that I've worked in business and I've been a project lead on, you know, 100,000 or sorry, $1,000 projects all the way to a million dollar projects. I've had the ability to see money coming in and out, see a bunch of different people working on projects before and also see how customers react to feedback, how they react to, biz or to changes in the way that you're going to, you know, do their business and the way that you're going to service them and whatever else. One thing is absolutely for sure, and then, uh, sorry, Nintendo proved this with Metro Prime 4. Capcom proved this with uh, Resident Evil Remake, uh, sorry, Resident Evil 2 Remake, and a couple other companies have um, shown this obviously in the past. If you listen to your audience and treat them like an adult and treat them like their time is valuable, they will respect you. That's why Nintendo fans didn't get pissed whenever Cap or sorry, whenever um, Nintendo said, hey, sorry, Metroid Prime, we're going to restart it from scratch. They didn't get pissed because they're like, hey, you were honest with us. First off, you were very honest with us and we'd rather you make a good game, right? Then launch a, a not so good game. Um, so that to me is kind of where the bad shit comes from. This is like, it's the fact that you do it and then you immediately take it out. That's what happened. Immediately, uh, they took it out. Right here, the statement from the project lead says, no, it's not the one. It's, um... Anyway, I don't, I don't know why it didn't come up, but they released in the patch notes that they were removing the XP potions and that they were sorry about it, etc., etc., blah, 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 blah. Now, that's just, is, is it good that they did that? Yes, because they probably would have killed what, you know, little audience they have in the first place. So not a huge game, right? <clears throat> but I'll be honest. I think this kind of um, told me something very important about LOA. And um, it sucks to say this because I was hoping the game would do well. 
I'm not. I I don't have the most faith in this uh, faith in this company. They seem too new, too inexperienced. Um, they're making very obvious business mistakes, not not game mistakes, not development mistakes, but business mistakes. And then basically they have this attitude of when we make mistakes, we immediately apologize and completely change our idea, which is despite what it sounds like, sounds like a good thing to have, right? But what if every time somebody told you you did something wrong, you believed them and changed everything that you did? Well, you wouldn't have the same game anymore, right? Like your, your complete original idea wouldn't be the same. So that's why you, you actually need to trust your developers not to budge in certain ways, right? You do, like, for example, when I play full loot games, one of the biggest things I am a proponent of is do not budge on full loot. When I'm playing a full loot game, I do not want to budge on full loot. So when I'm playing, you know, survival game or open PvP game or full loot PvP game, that's one of those things that I don't like to, uh, you know, neg on or whatever, renege on. Like, I'm like, I want there to be full loot if I'm going to play a full loot PvP game. <clears throat> so with LOA, Legends of Aria, at this point, they've, you know, delayed their launch a number of times. And currently, right now, the game is not worth full price. It isn't. It's not even, it shouldn't even be considered a fully launched game, right? It's an early access. It's very clearly an early access. They're adding new content. But the unfortunate thing about many of these companies is that they start to monetize after they put their game out. And I, and I just, and maybe you guys can give me a little bit of perspective here. Sorry if I'm not seeming the most empathetic, but I, I don't really understand why companies do that. Why on earth would you spend innumerable amounts of money and time to create projects and teams to create video games when you're going to launch them or be so close to launch without having any idea of how to make money from it like i'm sorry this ain't this isn't this isn't being outside and selling you know lemonade at your lemonade stand whenever someone comes up to you and says hey you're almost out of lemonade how are you gonna how are you going to satisfy all these customers' needs? Uh, we have people waiting in stock here. Like, how are you? Like, I'm going to leave a bad review on Yelp. Like, this is horrible. Like, this business doesn't have enough inventory. To They're not going to say that. They're going to be like, oh, man, you're out of lemonade. Damn. That sucks. I'll, I'll come back next time. Not really like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the lemonade outside is about business, but it's not really a business model. So it's like, you don't want to be that person who, after the fact, realizes I don't have any inventory. I don't have any way to monetize. I don't have any, um, uh, I don't have a platform. I haven't even chosen my platform yet. My game's not even ready yet. And I'm trying to monetize. That's the biggest problem. When companies start trying to monetize before their game is in anything close to a playable state, it gives people, unfortunately, inherently a bad taste, right? I don't know about you guys, but think of it in this way. <clears throat> Imagine you're living in a house and that house is half finished, but you're paying full price for it. And imagine your landlord comes up to you for the next month of uh, rent and says, all right, we're still 50% done, but I'm going to need 100% of the rent. You're going to say, wait, why would I give you 100% of the rent if the game's not even finished yet? Well, you know, we need to finish the game. So I, or I need to finish your house. So I actually, I need you to pay me rent, so I can use that money to then pay to, to finish your house. In that scenario, I'm going to be like, I don't give a shit, dude. If I'm going to pay you full price of rent, I expect the full price of rent worth of a house, right? But unfortunately, with video games, as early access has become a thing now, it's like 
early access is, is essentially living in a house, attempting or choosing to live in a house that's nowhere near completion, paying full price, and then being confused whenever roaches and the water leaks and the air conditioning doesn't work or the heaters don't work, right? I already knew that going in, this shit wasn't finished. So what I'm trying to say is that with games like LOA, the only way you can really get involved in them is if you're willing to wait or you trust in their vision or with, or will they, or sorry, or where they will eventually be in the future, right? That's what these Kickstarters do. That's what these early access games do. We're, we're trusting that they're going to be good at some point. But if they're not good yet, you don't have to try them. You don't have to support them. And you don't have to give them money unless you really want to support them. Because unfortunately, you kind of need to support them at least somewhat if, they, if they're going to accomplish what they need to accomplish, right? But that's, what I'm, that's why I keep saying, and, and Ulysses I saw agreed in chat, when you're a company and you're trying to make an MMO, when I spoke to Supreme, like I'll end this discussion about LOA here. When I spoke to Supreme and I asked him about um, how he was going to monetize the game in the future with future content expansions, very, very common and, and, and normal question I've asked a thousand other developers probably in my life. I should say people, because not all of them are probably developers, like in the official term. Everyone is a developer according to, you know, working for a game company, but only some actually like develop the game. Anyway, semantics aside, I've asked tons of people this question. Is there going to be paid expansions in the future? How is new content going to be introduced into the uh, game? When I asked Supreme this question, and I haven't told anybody this yet except my close friend, but when I asked him this, he said he wasn't sure and that they're not sure yet. Like it's, he said that they don't want to necessarily charge people for new content, but that they weren't sure yet. When I heard that, and again, I didn't say this to anybody, but I was very much like... So there's a famous saying in the realm of business. People say, how do you pitch? How do you get good? How do you sell ideas? How do you get funded? How do you create a company? How do you get a startup? How do you get uh, revenue? Or sorry, how do you get um, money to operate a company? Like... How do you get people interested in something? How do you sell something to somebody, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, let me drink some water. How do you do all of that <clears throat> sorts of stuff? Well, you have to have a plan, right? You have to have a plan of where you're going to be. You need to look at where do I want to be in five years, right? Where do I want to be in one? What kind of game or what type of product am I trying to create? What is my audience? Who is my audience? But if you show up at the day of business, you don't have enough product, you don't even have finished product, and you're still asking for full price in any other kind of market, you'd be laughed at, right? Like if this was like the hot sauce market or you went to some taco stand or taco, um, what do they call those, like uh, festivals, and some guy was like, hey, tr try out my taco or whatever else, and you tried it and it was uncooked, you'd be like, dude, this, this shit's uncooked. Like you just gave me a taco that's uncooked. He's like, oh yeah, sorry, like, um, I'm not, I wasn't finished yet, but that'll be 250. What? I ain't paying for this shit. But unfortunately, it's a catch 22. We want to support new games, as I was saying earlier, right? We want to support these new games with niche ideas and maybe bold and, and maybe even like, dare I say, uh, risky ideas. But at the same time, we can't necessarily just trust everybody who wants to make an MMO or everybody who wants to work on Kickstarter, or everyone in EA, early access, right? 
we can't just because we want good stuff to happen doesn't mean we should just trust all of them, right? We can't necessarily trust all of them. So we still need to be um, cognizant and, and pay attention to the signs. And all I'm trying to say now is that LOA has some signs that I just, I have some concerns that aren't really cleared up. So that's my final thoughts about it. All right. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Marvel Heroes um, in my soapbox segment because I've been making it a point to not have my podcast go longer than two hours and 30 minutes. We are currently at two hours and five minutes, so we have 25 minutes left. I'm going to try and get this death of a game uh, Marvel talk out of the way a little bit, and then we'll open up. Hopefully, at the end, we'll have around 15 minutes to do some uh, call-in questions either on Discord or you can just ask me or at me, rather, on Twitch to ask me a question. Okay. All right, let's open up the soapbox. Okay, so the Marvel Heroes video. Now, um, I saw uh, some... I'm going to pull up the Marvel Heroes video here just so I can read some of the comments. I wanted to make it a point to, after each of my video uploads, my Death of a Game video uploads, I want to do a companion podcast to some extent. Like, not like a dedicated one, but just like somewhat where I can at least talk about things maybe I didn't cover. I can also address things that people have mentioned that I think is good, criticism, or whatever else, anything like that. I, it allows me to kind of like still talk about a story without necessarily the, the book being completely shut yet. If you want to talk about this towards the end, just saw that Michael Condry from Sledgehammer Games has announced, or was announced. Oh, I think you mean was announced as president of a new studio created by 2K Games. Sledgehammer is the one that had uh, the uh, COD IP, right? Or was involved with the COD IP? Right, uh, Artie. Uh, the consumers are as much to blame in some cases as EA. I, I don't want to say all. I don't like when people blanket you know, statements saying that consumers are as much to blame. That's not true because by saying consumers are as much to blame means that consumers can't be tricked, which goes against the entire like laws of marketing and laws of business. <laughs> the consumer can very well be tricked and easily tricked. RMT, Real Money Traders, within MMOs kind of trigger companies to create cash shops since they saw that the player base would pay others to increase their gold and such. The problem with that, uh, Zeller, really, and I, and I actually, I would love if you would ask that as a question because that'd be a great, a great question to kind of get to. Um, but the problem with that kind of mentality is what happens is, although black markets do unfortunately exist and will nearly always exist, which is why some companies just don't see the point of not having a... Um, of not having their own cash shop so they can rake in that money themselves. The problem in both cases is that by allowing the the exchange of money, if you do not allow that item to be fully looted, what you do is you allow people to create something in your virtual world out of thin air, right? There is no lore reason for buying an outfit. There's no, no lore reason for buying a powerful sword there's no lore reason for buying or for buying a bunch of XP potions. What I'm trying to say is that many of those microtransaction cash shop things ruin immersion, right? They ruin people's immersion, and they make it to where even if it isn't pay to win necessarily, it's pay to everybody else is going to pay, so you kind of got to pay. So it ends up being like, it ain't pay to win, but I mean, kind of have to do it, right? 
Thank you for subbing AKH925. I appreciate that. Uh, South Korea, as you said, there's also South Korea, which has many games that use an RMT system. That's actually because in South Korea, um, selling uh, black market goods is actually illegal or was illegal for some time. And then it became legal. So funny enough, like the, the companies in, in Korea were the ones selling all of the stuff. It wasn't like gold sellers per se, right? It wasn't as lucrative as, as a business. And it was actually, sorry, it was actually considered illegal at one point. Recently, there was a court case a couple of years back where it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I actually don't know if um, uh, RMT is illegal in Korea. Actually, I think technically speaking now, since that court case wasn't deemed illegal, it's kind of one of those like precedent cases where basically it means because they didn't get like thrown into the jail, people automatically assume that it is kind of legal because of that. Um. What was I going? Oh, yeah. So some of the Marvel Heroes stuff that I haven't got to. A couple of things. Um, s some of the biggest uh, things that I've heard about it were people were not so happy that I offered my personal opinion on whether or not I thought the game was good or not. Now, this kind of confuses me. It kind of confuses me because I often see people say things on my Death of a Game videos to the extent of, how come you didn't talk more about the game's details? How come you didn't show minute-to-minute -minute gameplay and go into detail about how the game plays? And I'm like thinking to myself, that's because that's not what my series is about. My series has never been a review. It's not a review about games. If you'd like to watch reviews, go watch, um, uh, what's his name? Who makes those awesome reviews? He made one on Eve. He made one on um, Foundation. Or sorry, uh, X3, Terran Conflict. Uh, he did one on Fear, Mandalore Gaming. If you'd like to go watch kind of class or classic games in review or ones that kind of failed before, watch like Mandalore Gaming or go watch ACG or Skill Up. Like watch people who do review videos if you'd like review, uh, a review done in a game. Is it Mandalore Gaming or Mandalorian Gaming? or so I think it's Mandalore Gaming. Keep up the great work and thanks for making my job bearable. Hey, I, uh, I appreciate the kind words and I'm glad I do make your job at least somewhat bearable. Um, anyway, so... I've seen this mentioned kind of a couple of times. Now, the, the thing about this that people have to realize is that ultimately the, the goal of Death of a Game is to, is to d discuss and, and uncover, you know, the, essentially the mystery or question of why a particular game or company fails. Um, sometimes, guys, the unfortunate truth, and this makes people who are very sensitive and very um, uh, have personal relationships with certain games that I cover kind of mad, but they get mad that I don't mention all of the details because they think to themselves, you just sound like some, like, you know, random, non-biased, uh, uh, how do I say this? You sound like a random passerby who's passing judgment on my game without having some deep level knowledge of it and, and understanding how much I enjoyed the game, right? So it becomes like a, a personal enjoyment kind of thing where they see it as like, I personally enjoyed it. So then therefore you trying to be like objective about this is not being personal to my enjoyment. The, the problem is, is that I ultimately don't agree with everybody like on my channel, right? I'm not going to agree with you. That's why I make my videos not so much about my opinion. That's why I put sources in my description, right? That's why I provide other links to people's reviews. That's why I talk about Metacritic. That's why I talk about aggregate scores. That's why I talk about Steam scores and Steam ratings and sales and, um, you know, different things like that. Like I, I try and talk about things that I describe as evidence. And essentially what I mean by evidence is essentially anything that can prove 
or inform me in some educated way. Um, and especially is, is knowledge that I don't necessarily have like, uh, um, by default, meaning like, I know the name of the game is Marvel heroes, but I didn't know that the game was actually named Marvel universe online at one point. That's the bit of evidence that I had to uncover in order to realize that. Right. So when games fail or when companies fail or in products fail, as we've talked about many times on this channel, sometimes it's actually not because of the product itself. It's actually not because of the product itself. Sometimes it's because of the business decisions. Sometimes it's the color. Sometimes it's the packaging. Sometimes it's the time you release the product. Sometimes it's the marketing. Sometimes it's the, um, the guy behind the project, like the lead dev or the lead uh, product design. My point is, is that there's a lot of different reasons why we buy or don't buy products or why products sell well or don't sell well. It's not just about merit. I know it's very naive, and most people think this way, but we need to get out of the very naive way of thinking that good things do well. Unfortunately, guys, good games don't always do well, right? And so what I'm trying to say is that the reason why you don't hear me um, talk specifically about um, the game's details or review the game is because you don't have to in order to say why it failed. You don't, actually. Not in this case. Not for every single story. Some stories you need to, such as Lawbreakers. In Lawbreakers, I took time to slowly go through the design document, essentially, of what a class shooter is and what a regular shooter is, and make comparisons and correlations to show people why something maybe works or why something doesn't work, right? So I've had very nerdy, game-specific videos before, but that's because that video needed that kind of touch. Marvel Heroes Online, or Marvel Heroes, look... I'm sorry if you spent thousands of hours in this or thousands of hours in this game. As most critics said, as aggregate views back up my opinion in saying, meaning that this is not just my opinion. That's why I rely on evidence and that's why I rely on aggregate uh, review sites. People often ask, "Why do you mention Metacritic? Why do you mention um Steam reviews or why do you mention these other metrics?" That's because I want people to understand that I'm formulating my opinion not just on my own experiences, but on other people's experiences. So in this particular case, right, it's not a matter of, um, it, it, with Marvel Heroes, I don't need to tell you exactly why it's a bad game. I only need to tell you why most people think it's a bad game. Right? That's what my series does. I don't make it about my personal opinion. I, in fact, I try as hard as I possibly can to not utter the words, in my opinion. That being said, sometimes I do. And, and in Marvel Heroes, I did. I said, quote for quote, I struggle to even call the game a good game. That's a statement that I stick by because, well, most people agree with it. Aggregate scores back up the fact that the game never scored above a B rating, essentially. And um, in most cases, its first two launches, for example, was below a C rating. I also know that the company has had some pretty horrible allegations with its CEO. And I know that they've made some other bad decisions. Such as, for example, um, relying completely on one single IP, not allowing themselves to diversify, um, seeking out funds before they actually had a working company. Many, many, many different mistakes that we mentioned throughout the video that are far greater than actual gameplay or game-specific moments. Tyneris says, you are in sense making a mini documentary documenting a series of events, not writing some opinion piece, trying to convince people of something, essentially. But I think 
because sometimes I do tell people my opinion, it's so funny how as soon as you mention your opinion to some people, it's like they their brain does the opposite of being rational and completely becomes irrational and then automatically assumes that everything about you or the work that you do is irrational. To illustrate what I'm trying to say here, I'll, I'll show you guys Metacritic on um, Marvel Heroes. Now, this is not going to be a surprise to many of you because you guys know how I work, typically. You've seen me work in the past. I don't know why this is not working. Marvel Heroes. Met Metacritic. I mean, I'll cash it if I need to. Okay. So this is the first release of Marvel Heroes. It had a 58 score out of 38 critics. And out of 659 ratings, it had a 6.7 score. Now, if you scroll down and start to read through people's reviews, you can, you can by the way, what do, you think, what do you guys think I do? How do, you, how do you think that I come up with my opinion that seems like it's pretty well informed, even though in some cases, I'm not the biggest fan of the game? Or actually, in some cases, like Marvel Heroes, I didn't even necessarily like the game or want to play the game. How am I able to come away with seeming like I understand what people's criticisms are? It's because I'm not telling you what my criticisms are. In most cases, I'm telling you what other people's criticisms are. I'm reading other people's criticism. And I'm taking it to consideration with the entire timeline that I'm building. So I build this giant timeline, as I've shown you guys before. Um, let me put that on screen. As I've showed you guys before, right? I create a giant timeline. Well, actually, these, these are all my links for my articles at the top. So I have everything sourced. Then I scroll down. Here's my timeline. So my timeline, earliest year, followed by the earliest super event. I said Marvel Seuss Cryptic over City of Heroes was the first serious event that involved Marvel in some way. That was spelled wrong. I then proceed to go year by year, month by month in some cases, Finding the next serious events. After I follow these events, I then do what I um, do normally. I read people's reviews. I go to Steam, Marvel Heroes. I read uh, Steam reviews as well. I don't know why Steam is not wanting to load today. It's weird. Yeah, like Marvel Heroes won't even come up on Steam anymore. I don't know where... Where did I put it? I don't know where I put my folder. Anyway, I digress. Point being, that's how I come up with what my opinion is. So if you ever listen to my video and think, huh, that's Nerd Slayer's opinion, realize that Nerd Slayer's opinion generally in just about every facet of life, I try and make it informed on other people's opinions people who are smarter than me so no i am uh i'm not the genius right i just know where to look right i just know how to come to a conclusion when i put enough time into something of whether or not i can say something right it's just i'm not i'm not a genius this isn't a one-man show this is this is all of us like you guys help me you guys have helped me uh do videos before you guys have told me which videos to do you guys have given me I mean, essentially eyewitness testimonies. You've given me personal accounts. People have even given me contact info for developers before. Like this is a community effort. That's why I always say in my videos, we, 
or we are going on a mystery or we are going on an investigation because whenever i announce to everybody what my next death of a game is which i'll announce today it's dirty bomb thank you for watching on the podcast you guys get to know first um i'll announce it it's going to be on dirty bomb a game that i played you know a good amount during its um uh open beta or sorry was it closed beta at the time or open beta i can't remember in 2015 somewhere around there there was like an open beta i'm still i'm as you can tell i'm still uh ironing out the details in the video or for the script rather but but point being is like when i do that if you've ever noticed on my youtube on my community tab what i do is i always ask people to tell me what their experiences are for example here's a post that i did right here this is essentially my call to arms that i do for people i say hey you know what's up everybody this person figured out what the next death of a game is. So I show the image where the guy figured it out. And then I ask everybody, can you give me your opinions about the game? Can you give me your reasons for why you think it failed and for what you like most about it, what you hated most about it, etc.? And people comment here or they email me. And so again, this is another layer of, um, of uh, source checking, fact checking slash perspective checking that I do. I also take into consideration the audience, right? I ask people who follow me, have you played the game? What's your opinion of the game? What do you think of the game? So when people say something along the lines of, yeah, but Nerd Slayer, this particular game, you didn't play a whole lot of. Well, luckily, I don't need to because whenever I don't play something a lot, guess what I do? I do my fucking research, right? <laughs> I do my research. I make mistakes. I absolutely make mistakes. For example, when I mentioned Marvel Heroes Omega update, I didn't mention that they also called it the BUE, the biggest update ever. And so that's kind of one thing I regret about my Marvel Heroes video. I wish I would have gone into detail about maybe in some specific ways why that particular update wasn't the greatest. But I kind of kept it more generalistic and said, well, it's more of the same response, which it basically was based on reviews and based on all the other information I've seen concerning it. Of course, there's been other things that I've made mistakes on and and. I will continue to make mistakes, unfortunately, as much as I would wish that I wouldn't. If I took a month to make each of my videos, I probably wouldn't make mistakes, right? But I take two weeks, um, so I have much less time, right? Because I'm trying to pop out two in a month. Hey, what's up, uh, Doom Black Dragon? I really enjoy Dirty Bomb and Beta in release, but it just didn't draw me in compared to Titanfall 2. So Titanfall 2 was my staple shooter. All right, I think that's me. I'm dumb talking, or I'm dumb. Yes, I am dumb. No, I'm, I'm done talking about the Marvel Heroes video. Again, this is something that I'm trying to do in the future. That way I can address things that maybe I didn't get the chance to address in the, in the video on stream. I can address any criticisms, any questions people have for me. And um, yeah, it helps me feel like I, like I can move on from it. Because everybody else will kind of move on. But me, I still go back to my videos and I'm like, man... That guy made a good point. I wish I would have said something about that. I just can't help but I always feel like stories are constantly evolving, which is why it's hard to make Death of the Games on games that are currently existing um, or or aren't doing so well because there could be a new bit of information that comes out and all of a sudden the game has some resurgence or something. Um, but it's that's what keeps this interesting. It keeps us honest, too. I admit that when I watched the Marvel Heroes Death of a Game, that was one of the people that felt your opinion, opinion seemed biased. However, I've learned when I take off my nostalgia goggles, it's hard to debate your evidence. It quickly becomes evident that I may be, in fact, biased. I'd imagine that final step may be overlooked by people that react too quickly and subjectively. First off, I really, really appreciate you saying that to me. And I'm not just saying that. I really appreciate that. The greatest thing you can tell me is that I changed your mind. Like me personally, I love when somebody says, hey, I didn't think you were right. 
I disagree with you. I might even hate you because of the name of this video. But you know what? I listen to your perspective. And although I don't completely agree, I can see where you're coming from. That's like a huge compliment for me. Or when someone says, you know what? I might disagree with your, with your conclusions, but I appreciate the amount of time and research you put into this. Or if somebody says, hey, you know what? I think it was unfair for you to call the game not being a good game. I think you overstepped the bounds of what's considered to be too biased as a journalist. Fair enough. I can, I can, you know, have that conversation with you. That being said, that's why I like this ability to actually be able to explain my perspective to people. Because now you understand that as, you know, unfortunately many people won't understand because they don't take the time to understand and also don't ask me. They just immediately want to get mad whenever they get mad about something and not actually tell me what their given reason is. This is a very dangerous thing for me. And what I mean by that is that I'm essentially trying to cover as many interesting stories, games, and um, companies that I can while also trying to do what's in my wheelhouse, right? So that's why I don't make a whole lot of videos about games that I don't play. Um, I don't make videos about types of games that I don't play because I don't have... I don't have interest in, in covering something that I have no familiarity with. Marvel Heroes might not be a game that I'm like the biggest fan of or really even, you know, wanted to play when it came out. Um, but it's a game that I understand. I've been playing uh, Diablo games since I was seven, right? I've been pl I played Diablo 1 when I was seven years old. I played uh, Dark Eden, uh, Diablo MMO clone, essentially. So I have a lot of history with ARPGs and, and MMO ARPGs. That's why I would do a video like Marvel Heroes. I also like Ultimate Alliance. Um, obviously Rift, Ion, and Dark Age of Camelot, those are all MMOs, and, you know, most people know my story about that, but I'll do a draw my story at some point with my, uh, illustrator, who's obviously a great artist. Uh, we want to do one where he kind of draws everything, and I, I can tell you guys a little bit about my life story. You'll understand why I've played as many games and MMOs as I have, um, because it is a bit interesting to talk about, but unfortunately... Every single video, I can't always tell everybody what to expect and how I make each video because it'd be redundant. Um, so what that means is, is I get very used to getting kind of like the same comments over and over again, sometimes over the same exact thing, sometimes in the same exact way. So that's why if you guys ever have something that you want me to answer or want me to address, it's always best to just, you know, come join Discord and just at me directly or message me because that way I can directly address you relying on youtube for me to talk to you is probably not the best you know <laughs> way to do that um yeah i don't know if i do a street fighter 5 anytime i think about doing a death of a game for a video i think to myself what is my level of understanding of this genre i do I, I i do multiplayer shooters because i've been playing that for ages <clears throat> i've also been on top of ladders before so i feel like i have more of like an expertise in a certain sense. And MMOs, obviously, I mean, those are what I've spent the majority of my life playing. So I feel very comfortable talking about MMOs. Um, I feel very comfortable talking about games like um, uh, like uh, MOBAs as well. I've played a lot of different MOBAs. But do I talk about card games a whole lot? No. Am I? Is it because I can't play card games or don't play card games? No, I do play card games and I like playing card games. But it's that I know that if I was going to make a, a video about a card game, I'd really need to step it up in terms of my knowledge, right? Because card games require you to understand theory. And that's why there's, they're more intimidating when it comes to making death of a game videos. What I mean is that 
when you say why Artifact doesn't do well, you can't just say Artifact doesn't do well because Valve or because this. In, in Artifact's case, you actually need to break down into the nitty-gritty and describe bit by bit why the game isn't doing well from a design perspective. As you can possibly imagine, that is very difficult for someone to do, let alone someone to do in such a short amount of time. So that's why with some games, you guys say them, I hear the names, I want to do videos on them. But I do get a little bit intimidated because I'm just like, man, I have a lot of learning to do before I can do something like that. Oh, I will do an artifact death of a game. I'm just saying <laughs> it's not necessarily going to be easy. Luckily, the next death of a game that's coming out, Dirty Bomb, I got to play that uh, whenever it first came out. So I uh, not only have knowledge playing the game, I have familiarity with the company Splash Damage, of course, because I grew up playing Enemy Territory, as well as um, I got to try Brink. Um, before as well i funny enough i played quake uh enemy territory as well artifact death of a game 2020 depends i guess we'll we'll leave that up to valve right i'm not the one that decides it uh everyone else decides it ultimately all right looks like we have no call-ins for today so i'm not going to beg anybody to do any call-ins um i'd like to end the podcast here we're just a couple of minutes um before 2 30 Two hours and 30 minutes, so I want to open the floor up now to everybody in chat, since there's nobody who wants to chat um, in Discord, and you can at me, ask me any questions. I will give you guys uh, the next uh, seven minutes. Do you have another guest coming up for the podcast? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, um, well, I, I I'm not going to say that exactly. I'll put it this way. Yes, I do have guests um, um, that I want to to bring onto the, the podcast. This next guest, though, um, I'm either going to go for one that I've done before or I'm going to go for a big fish. And I think I might be able to get him, but we'll see. Sorry. I, honestly, I haven't been giving the podcast as much time as I wanted to in terms of like um, thinking about how I want to structure it in the future and who I want to get on it. I kind of see why people have another person that helps them do a podcast just so that uh, at least in that sense, you can get someone else to schedule things. I hate scheduling shit. So I need to get better at that. But I mean, I basically do everything. <laughs> I edit, I voice, I write, um, I've done the branding. I came up with the idea of the channel. I came up with the look. It's um, content creation requires you to put on many different hats in order to make a business out of it. So it's, uh, it's going to take time, but I'm working on it. And I've already said before, I, I do want developers on the podcast, but I'm going to be very picky about which developers I ask because I don't want the guy that's going to sit up there and tell me everything I want to hear or tell me nothing I want to hear, right? So when I, when I talk to Chris Avalon, for example, I want to I ask him some questions. I want to see what he has to say, right? And if he can't, that's a bummer, right? Or some other game developer that I like, right? Uh, whoever that might be. Where to get informed on MMOs? I would go to massivelyoverpower.com. They're usually pretty good or massively OP. Um, uh, they, they are a place you can go to. Pretty decent group of people. Just bear in mind they're a little bit biased against PvP games. Um, I've seen that a little bit on their, on their uh, website. But other than that, and also... They are unfortunately one of that, or they're, they're that community that I mentioned before. 
who interchangeably uses remake and remaster as well as classic and progression servers, which just drives me crazy to no end. But besides that, they're a pretty good website. I like looking at their uh, site for news. Also, use Reddit, Reddit slash games and Reddit slash MMORPG. I know in terms of discussions, those places aren't the best, but you can get a lot of news. I would like to contribute something one day, but I have a terrible cold at the moment. No problem, man. Not everybody needs to chat. You can always at me something. All right, we will stop complaining about the hard working conditions for us mods already. <laughs> Do you have any plans to continue the Life of, Life of a Game series? Do you have any candidates lined up? Yes, so Life of a Game is, is one of those series um, that I created essentially off of a, a whim, just seeing if I could do the opposite idea in the other direction. Unfortunately, that series isn't nearly as popular in some cases. Um, it wasn't as popular. I'm not saying that's because the series itself is not popular, but it, what, it, what I mean is that it, it's going to take more troubleshooting, take more production, because I didn't have Tom working with me on that project, and it's, and, and it's et cetera. So meaning that it's going to take more time to get it right and unfortunately, anytime I tell you guys time, that also means money. Because I, I work uh, in YouTube now full-time, meaning I have to optimize the amount of time I spend on things to where I'm going to make the most money. And so Death of a Game for me on the more popular titles is where I'm going to make more money. So I have to, right now, until I can transition my funding to being more reliant on Patreon and more reliant on crowdfunding, until then, I have to make videos about popularity and my next life of a game could very well be a popular video. Hence why I um, was waiting until I could find the right time to do it. But I'll tell you guys right now, just between us, that I've been wanting to do one on Rainbow Six for the longest time. I love Rainbow Six as a franchise. I've been playing Rainbow Six since, I mean, shit. What was the first PS2 uh, Rainbow Six? I can't even remember. It's been way too long I've been playing Rainbow Six as well as Tom Clancy's um, Splinter Cell and, and Ghost Recon, two, uh, three games I've you know loved uh, playing. Was that PS1? Dang, man. That goes way back, dude. That, make, that makes me feel old. Sometimes when I think about the PS1, the PS1 makes me feel old. I'm just like, man, like, that's such a long time ago. I got to look up Rainbow Six games now. Okay, I'll tell you all of the Rainbow Six games I've played. But yes, I want to do a life of a game on uh, Rainbow Six. Um, uh, why am I... Um, what a... Uh, why am I blinking out? Siege. Uh, Siege. Uh, Tom Clancy's uh, Rainbow Six Siege. That one obviously has done amazing, but it started off not so well, so it's certainly a great uh, game, in my opinion, to do the series on. Uh, Alright, anyway, so all of the Tom Clancy games I've played. Man, let's see. The first one I played, I would probably say... Has to be this one. 2001 Ghost Recon is probably the first one I played. I don't remember Lone Wolf. Raven Shield. Mm, I remember it, but I didn't play that one. 
obviously Splinter Cell, Pandora to I mean, come on. Splinter Cell in general, also just amazing franchise. Um Ghost Recon 2, good game. I enjoyed it. Um Double Agent, one of my favorite Splinter Cell games and Tom Clancy games of all time. Advanced Warfighter, eh. I honestly didn't like that one that much. Uh Rainbow Six Vegas, amazing game. Amazing game. Love that game. And and Vegas 2, I think was better in some ways. I didn't know Hawks was uh, Tom Clancy. That's interesting. And then, of course, I've played basically the, all these other games, too. Except for this one. But I've never heard of these two games. Ghost Recon, Future Soldier, and Shadow Wars. I don't think i played either of those games. These are like the space versions or some shit. Raven Shield is the best. It's, it sucks because I don't remember exactly what the plot is in Raven Shield. I remember like um what's it called uh Black Arrow and uh what was the other one that I mentioned too It's not Rogue Spear I can't remember where the other one uh, was called It might have just been the VI or the the Gold Edition the Rainbow Six 3 Gold Edition Let me see if there's a a screenshot of the gameplay Yeah this is definitely one that I've played a couple of demos for. <laughs> anyway, we're all over the place. Anyone have any other questions you guys like me to ask? Uh, AKH says, have you tried Breach? Already off to mixed reviews. It's never good. I hate when a trailer like shows you nothing. Like, show me something. There you go. That's better. So this is like a co-op online multiplayer kind of game. Apparently, it also has a versus mode. It's funny. I'm kind of getting to the point to where I almost just feel like I'm I'm going to swear off early access myself. I tell people not to swear off early access, but it's kind of getting. To where I don't have the energy or time to devote into these early access games anymore. Especially because in many cases, because now I'm a content creator, I have a lot more responsibility. <laughs> so I, it's just like, um, I don't have the same desire to do that shit anymore. I just want to wait until these damn games launch and then I can actually take it seriously. Rainbow Six Three was a game changer for me. Want to fly, want to buy gameplay footage? Sorry, let's show you some gameplay footage. I'll show you three, and then um, I'll show you Vegas because those are probably two of my favorites. I would wait six months and see if they delivered on what they promised in their roadmap. That's a good idea, MGPT. Think about this. This game came out, guys, 16 years ago. Look at how simple textures were back then. Is this the console version? This is a GameCube version. 
Why is the GameCube version the first one that comes up? Yeah, okay, there's the FPS. Look at them shadows, man. 16-year-old game. Oh, God. <laughs> that looked pretty horrible, though. <laughs> Can he not aim down the sights? Why is he not aiming down the sights? Oh, God. Is that because, if I remember correctly, in these old ones, you couldn't unless you had a scope? Isn't that horrible to think we used to play shooters where you couldn't aim down the sights? Counter-Strike 1.6 still has twenty to 40,000 players online on Steam. That doesn't surprise me at all. It's a totally different game than CSGO. Alright, I think that's about time to end the podcast. Running out of energy. That's awesome, though. I miss leaning. What was that? Oh, somebody pledged. Thank you. All right. Um, sorry, everybody. I think we've reached the end of the podcast. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to stop by today, even if you couldn't stay all the way through. For those that stayed all the way through, of course, I'm very appreciative of you. As I mentioned um, at the top, uh, Death of a Game on Dirty Bomb next. Uh, Marvel Heroes just came out recently. So look for the Dirty Bomb one to come out in probably another week or two. Like the normal timetable, we're getting back to the normal uh, schedule of sorts. Uh, we also are in talks of getting more art design and assets done uh, in the vein of our kind of theme and stuff. That way we can have more things in, in fluff and flair and stuff that we show during our Death of a Game episodes in regards to like the, de uh, sorry, the detective character NS himself. We wanted more assets. We wanted more ways to be like, oh, here's a clue. And, and and make people feel like they're more connected whenever they watch an episode. And also, I want people to, with these new graphics and assets, start to feel more involved as well. Like, they can come away with their own conclusions. Um, so that's, like, in the works. But uh, I don't know how long in terms of ETA on that. Uh, and then the other things in the work, of course, is we still have that announcement video that I mentioned we decided to put out two Death of a Game videos first, then do the announcement video just because we were a little bit behind. Um, of course, a lot of that footage was recorded in 4K and is live footage, so it's not easy to edit, even though it's going to be a shorter video. That's going to be our Patreon announcement video. Um, other than that, not a whole lot else. I'll be streaming again, of course, next week on Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern, as always. And uh, we're up to 27 subscribers, so let me change that on screen down a little bit. We, 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 we stay at like around 30 to 27. It's like our kind of range right now. Once we break 50, that'll be nice. That's cool to have some uh, Twitch subs when I don't necessarily put the whole or put a whole lot of effort into this. Anyway, um, thank you everybody for stopping by. Have a good rest of your Monday. Have a good rest of your week. Um, play some video games. Hang out with your friends, talk to people, go outside, enjoy life, enjoy yourself. You can do anything you put your mind to uh, within reason. And um, yeah, that's all I have for you guys. I will see you later. Thank you, Card, for stopping by and helping us with uh, moderation, even though not much was needed. And uh, once again, another thank you to everyone who stopped by today. Thank you. Thank you for watching episode 20. 
of six pixels under.